0: Hey Tim! Yes, Derek! We're gonna talk about some movies of the future, but just in case people of the present aren't aware of these movies, yeah. you probably ought to be careful about
1: spoilers. One of them's 110 years old. <laughs> <laughs> That's even more than our Universal show joke I made where they were 90 years old. Yeah. If you haven't seen it in 120 years, <laughs> you might want to be careful of spoilers on this one.
0: And there's some other ones that are newer, but yeah, yeah. that might be the one. You
1: ruined the ending.
0: <laughs> this is Drum Drum
2: Stand by. Bro-
1: Hey, Derek. Yes, Tim. I predict Mm -hmm. we're going to have a great episode. How could you know for sure? I'm predicting into the future by two hours that this will be a success and it will bring us lots of wealth. (laughs) Well, I predict that this show will end with you clicking the button. Why would I hit the button on this show? What's it called? Transmissions from the Forbidden Planet. That is right. And mm. as I mentioned, I called you Derek a minute ago. Yeah. And you called me Tim. Tim. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's our names. Don't wear them out. <laughs> yeah, so what we're going to do is we're going to, the topic is going to be movies. That take place in the future all through the years. And we're going
0: to look at those movies and see, like, retrospect when we first saw them, what we thought of them, and then mm-hmm. what they got right. And uh, just maybe even nitpick them a little
1: bit. Yeah, well, we do that sometimes. saying in the spoiler warning you know that this goes all the way back because there there were future movies back in the silent film era yeah of course and i'm gonna say the first one that we're gonna talk about is metropolis from 1927. whoa i remember that year like it was yesterday (laughs) yeah (laughs) if you switch the years around that was the year i was born oh yeah the nine and the one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be. What would that be? <laughs> you switch the nine and the one. Oh, 91, 27. Yes. yes. Wow. I came all the way back to, to record this episode with you on this antiquated, shitty Mac computer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's just say Metropolis is directed by a guy named Fritz Lang. What a yes. What a weird name. What a crowd. <laughs> it's a German movie, right? Right. Made in the roaring 20s. And the film is set though as Conan O'Brien would say, in the year
2: 2000. <laughs> uh,
1: I had seen parts of this movie before. Everybody's seen um, yeah. the image of the android woman with the with the ray beams around her and all that stuff. That's For sure. That's kind of a famous scene. Right. As we talked about in our Batman Volume 1 episode, where we were discussing Batman Returns and... I think the Chris Walken character is loosely based on the. Uh, his look is based on the uh, the mad scientist guy with the metal hand, with the crazy gray hair. Right. Yeah. Mac. Yeah. Yeah. Mac. Yeah. And and um, plus the the gothic. You know, designs that are on Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, it's German Expressionisms, of course, because it's in Germany. Back when it was new and hip. That's right. And in Germany before it hit America and started becoming our gothic little thing. Yeah. Here's one of the things that you'll start to see a pattern as we go on into these future movies that I find it's very interesting. And I kind of wish that some other directors would follow this trend is that it looks like Fritz Lang was like, you know what, I'm going to set this in a year where... No one living right now yeah. is going to be able to tell if this was predicted things right or not. And so I'm going to set it so far in the future, you are not even going to, they're not even, no. <laughs> and other directors, when we get to other movies, don't do that. They just do yeah. it like a few, and then things are so astronomically different that it's kind of yeah. like, wait,
1: what? You know, but. Wait, yeah, you're way off base. Right. So I like that he did that. Yeah, right, right. I, if nobody's seen it, I, I've seen parts uh, here and there, and I, I think I started watching watching it about a year ago and got disrupted and then never got back to it. So I ended up watching it last night, actually. Right. All the way through. It's a long one. Mm -hmm. It's two and a half hours long, which is for a silent film. It's crazy for a silent film. Yeah. 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 And um, the print that I watched, I watched it on Tubi uh, because that's what it was available on, on my particular uh, uh, situation at the moment. Right. It was completely silent. There was Mm -hmm. no... Music to accompany it, you know, sometimes when you watch silent films, they'll add a music track to it Sometimes they won't right this this was just dead silence. So, you know, since Tubi does commercials I just put it on mute anyway (laughs) So that when the commercials came on uh, I didn't have to hear those right, but what ended up happening is uh, It's dystopian, you know, I would say it's probably one of the first dystopian future movies and it's for sure kind of centering around this one industrialist who is in charge of this city mm-hmm. and kind of runs everything and uh you know he has a few people within his uh, high society the one percenters i guess we'd say mm-hmm. in today's uh vernacular <laughs> right and the, everybody else works for him at a very low level. So right. it's a very caste system, almost kind of like a old-timey England, where you had a lord who owned all the land, and then all the peasants that farmed that land, and they had to rent space off of that land to, you know, right. And he lives in a big high uh, high tower. Yeah, right. And all of the people working for him are underground. You're in hell. Yeah. And I'm in heaven, basically, you know. Right. And then the, the movie's kind of like uh, uh, about this struggle between these two halves of society the haves and the have nots. How can they communicate with each other and get along? And they're in search of like this almost uh, Messiah like uh, mediator to be able to connect the two worlds so that they could live happily together. Right. And things go a little awry. They go a little awry, but, yeah, like we said, it's set in the future, and and
0: like you were saying, you know, it has that dystopian kind of future, which coming so early in 1927 and everything, I, I can't help, especially how um, influential this movie ended up going on to be. Yeah. You have to think that, like the way the future looks in some of these things in the high society and the lower tier society that had to eventually trickle down to things like we would see like when Lucas was doing uh, THX you know, yeah. that has that, that kind of feel to it. You see the factory workers and what he's doing there and all of that stuff. Even all the way up into, I forget what year it was. I believe it was like 2014 when uh, Chris Evans does that movie Snowpiercer. Mm-hmm. And that's another one, a representation of, like Set said, in the future. You have this yeah. high society people in the front cart. And the, the, yeah. all the people, you know what I mean? And so it's this, this tier level of living kind of thing of society and all of this stuff. So it's, that's really interesting to me that it's already on display here. But again, like you were like we were talking about off transmission in Germany at this time, you gotta think that some of the things that were happening in this movie. Definitely played into why they have that separation of we're up here and you're down here, you're the lonely people. And, and and Germany, you know, by 27, they had already gotten kind of their ass handed
1: to them. Yeah, in World War One, right. Right. And there was one particular German guy, I can't quite think of his name, who got really mad that the Germans lost that war. I I think in 1927, he could have been a moviegoer, yeah. this guy. Yeah. What's his name? Schmadoff Schmittler? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, like I said, I watched it last night and there's... There's this kind of imagery going on with people oh. marching and all that stuff. And I'm like thinking, holy shit, did he watch this movie as like a, in his early 20s or whatever he would have been at that point and just be right. like,
2: yeah, hmm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you can definitely
0: imagine that he's sitting in his seat and just being like, yes,
2: brilliant. <laughs>
1: right.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. There's there is these weird, eerie things. And of course, it's looking back on it on retrospect now that we know history and what all happened yeah. with this Schmadel schmidler guy and <laughs> and what happened with those but there's these weird shots in the film of like people being going into the lower levels where they work and it, yeah. it eerily matches some photography that was done during some of the concentration camps that were happening there and stuff it's
1: just strange yeah there's that and then there's also you know, whatever the utopia that Hitler was trying to create in Germany. Right. That that was, in a way, kind of what communist Russia ended up being with these, like, pre-developed almost, what we would call in America projects. Right. But... This is what everybody was given was housing units right and you know the volkswagen beetle being the car of the people that was sanctioned by hitler right because i guess what we're trying to say is when you see some of the the landscape imagery it's all hand drawn it's really cool stuff it's beautiful yeah yeah and there's like these little models of traffic on the bottom this is 1927 so you're barely still kind of having horse carts yeah. Amongst the cars in this time period, right? What this is showing is like uh, uh, subways and trains going back and forth, the skyscrapers built on top of each other in a yeah. way. If it, when you look at it and it, you think, "Wow, this is 1927." What this looks like is Manhattan in 1975. Right. Know? It's creepy as fuck. You're like, yeah. wow, they really nailed that somehow, and kind of guessed what our future would really be like, because you know, all the roads they show are just riddled with little model cars, <laughs> just bumper to bumper, slowly driving in each direction, you know. Exactly. And, and you know. But there's also par- not just parallels to Nazi Germany. There's parallels to our modern society too. Yep. You know, through the internet revolution, we, you know, a lot of these kind of almost oligarch type business leaders have arisen as sort of heroes like your bezos and your elon musk and right these kind of people where what are their true real meanings There and this dude in that movie that frederson guy uh, is kind of he's one of those yeah. back in 1927 he's yep. he's one of those guys and back in that time period too in 1927 it's before the great depression yep and in that time period of the roaring 20s there were a lot there was your JP Morgan's and your uh, Rockefeller's and uh, the Hearst family, you know, these really powerful. So what the movie is doing is commenting on those specific guys. Oh, yeah. Not realizing that 100 years later, we'd be dealing with those guys all over again. (laughs) You know what I mean? Exactly.
0: Yeah. It's weird how prophetic the movie is because you're dealing with a caricature of what you're saying of these people like the Rockefellers and stuff Mm -hmm. like that.
1: Right. And the workforce basically, as the middle class shrinks these days, right? It's more about just, just barely trying to survive and trudging your way to a job you hate, you know, which was very much the thing back in that end of that industrial era, too, where everybody was going to these miserable factory jobs and just spending days like, I'm making a muffler for a Model T over and over 750 (laughs) times a day. (laughs) I'm going to shoot myself if I could afford a gun. Right. Right. And we're kind of in society's sort of, unfortunately, looks like we're slipping back into that again. (laughs) Right. Right. Dismantling of the right. middle class and, and uh, the, the separation between the haves and the have-nots.
0: Right. So yeah, in that way, the the way the film is so prophetic and looking at actual his or uh, future that is to come yeah. to them from 1927. Right. It also is looking at a future that is picked off of from a ton of future films that are going to pick off of this thing as well because of some of the artistic things that end up coming out of the German Expressionism from the future stuff can easily be put into that uh, Art Deco stuff that starts hitting in the 60s about this is what the future is going to look like and stuff like that. And aside from that too, what this thing also does is you have a robot or android Mm -hmm. that is artificially intelligent. Right, right and is able to disguise itself with skin on top of it to make it look human. Wink, wink, where
1: are we getting all of this stuff? Cybernetic, you know, yeah. Right. Doing its evil deeds and kind of- uh... Winking, as you said. (laughs) Yeah, it's winking. (laughs) Yeah. You have to, you know, you have to take the silent film era acting with a grain of salt. Oh, yeah. Because, man, it it is over the top. Right. The other thing you got to remember, too, is, like I said, it was before the Great Depression. The Great Depression didn't just affect America. It fucked up the whole world. Right. And, um right I feel like how this movie was being prophetic in 1927 was actually delayed by the Great Depression and it was kind of like the greed of the 1920s ended up causing the Great Depression and you know the unregulated banking caused the Giants crash and um, right so if anything what's interesting about that is this vision that this uh, this these German writers or whatever came up with of the, our future right if the Great Depression hadn't have happened it might have come a lot sooner in history you know what I mean uh right. Right, right. No, totally. It kind of feels like um, that put a big damper on things, and, and but then it, it, it still inevitably did happen, you know. Maybe shut it down a, a couple decades. Yeah, right, right. Some of the things that this movie hits
0: on, I think, not only is inspired by some writers of the past Mm -hmm. of like novels and stuff like that but also inspired some of the soon-to-be novelists that go on to write about future worlds and outer space and science fiction and all this stuff and it's hard to not incorporate especially in a visual medium because I'm not sure when American audiences if American audiences at this time got to see Metropolis, but right, you can definitely tell that the the movie is more than likely influenced by the works of someone like H. G. Wells or Jules Verne, something like that, because they they definitely put a profound vision as far as in novel form and writing about future things and, and science fiction things and stuff of this grandeur kind of ideas of right. the future. And then, so this movie comes out, I think, and I'm speculating probably pulling from some of those images that you read when you read stuff from Jules Verne and H.G. Wells. So by the time this movie comes out in 27, then authors that come later or soon after have to, I think, at least have seen footage or pictures or maybe the whole movie of this movie because people like Arthur C. Clarke and Ray Bradbury and George Orwell have to I, in my opinion, see that stuff to go on and write some of the stuff that they see because some of the stuff that they write in their books seems so
1: hand-picked
0: yeah, from yeah.
1: P- parts of this film. Well, especially the whole 1984 thing and yeah. in comparison to Metropolis and this kind of oppressed you're being watched right. thing because the guy in the tower, uh, I think his name is John Frederick or something like that, uh, the, mm-hmm. the oligarch in the movie, Yeah, he has like this ability to do like a, uh, almost a FaceTime phone call Right, and he's watching over his whole land, and that's very uh, Big Brother is watching kind of thing. So yeah, and that's what the whole 1984 is about. It's incredible
0: to me that yeah. you know that all of these in, all of these things are happening to influence other artists to yeah. continue to perpetuate yeah. this artistic vision to add like a snowball effect right. for other right. artists down the road to take and then move and push forward. And right. I love that stuff. That's what I love about like the art form of whatever mm-hmm. it is, like you know, uh,
1: whether it's uh, novels or. Uh, Uh, photography or movies or any of this stuff yeah because i think you know as we venture into 60s 70s and 80s that's when a lot of like arthur c Clarke and ray bradbury stuff starts getting made into films yeah that's what keeps happening as we go along with these future movies you'll see how it get how the future gets expanded and representative of the time it comes out and what could be right around the corner you know
0: Right. Yeah. 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 Especially when you get into the '60s and you have even NASA starting to start Gemini and all of these yeah, things, right. where they, you know, they're thinking we can eventually probably get to the moon, but. Right first we got to test out if we can get past the atmosphere, and right. if we can get, you know, and, and survive all of this stuff and everything. And so when stories like that are coming out and going into the head of someone like Arthur C. Clark or Ray Bradbury yeah. or George Orwell or any
1: of these guys, you know, that they're this, like that's fodder for their imagination. Oh, sure. with the space race stuff, the Sputnik thing. They were first, the yeah. Russians were first. Right. Everybody should know that in history. They beat us to it. Right. And that kicked off the whole NASA, like, get, let's get our fucking shit in gear. Right. Before the Russians hey, beat Hey, Germans. Us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Nazi guys that we stole.
2: Ten nine. Ignition sequence starts.
0: Let me ask you this. In your
1: personal history,
0: have you ever been fascinated with movies about the future or anything like that?
1: Yeah. Well, or or just the future in general, because I can remember being a little kid on Johnny Carson and your Criswell-type futurists would be guests, and they would just be making these really random fucking predictions, Mm -hmm. you know, just making shit up. I mean, as a little kid, I didn't know that. Right. I'm like, whoa, how does he know that? And I think, you know, (laughs) asking my mom and being like, well let's take it with a grain of salt, kid. <laughs> right, right. 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 You know? <laughs> right. But that was like, a, it was like a thing. You yeah. know, we talk about Woods Criswell. There were, there was all kinds of guys like that. These futurists right. that would make predictions. Right. And they were celebrities. They were celebrities. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and I think, it's generational for sure because I don't feel like it's we're we're living so much in the future now yeah (laughs) you know technology is, is so exponentially fast that it seems like if we can invent it in our minds in about two years it'll exist right but you know when you and I were little kids in the '80s and stuff, and a cool idea—you hear about a cool idea being, uh, you know, in the sciences and the labs or something—it yeah, would take like eight years before it actually came to fruition. So uh, I think there was a lot more sense of mystery and awe about oh. what is the future going to be like.
0: Right? Oh yeah, completely. I mean, these days, <laughs> if if there was someone that was trying to be a uh, futurist, yeah, they'd have to be like, I predict the iPhone 16 will be out next year. <laughs> yeah, right. <you> know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I've always had a, since a tiny little kid I can remember being fascinated with any imagery that would show something from the future whether it be flying cars that stuff fascinated me I had an endless right, fascination right. so I would seek out anything that even if someone said oh I think that's set in the future I would be I need to see that I want to see mm-hmm. that because I was so even those cartoons those classic cartoons that you and I talk about yeah like, like the homes of tomorrow and car, car yeah. of tomorrow
1: and the, yeah they're, they're, they're set in the like like the 1960 right so it's right. very mid-century design and the big boxy cars yeah we've talked about them before and it, they're really funny yeah uh you know they're making a joke out of the whole thing but then there were they're parodying like real right. kitchens of tomorrow things that would be i don't know either on tv or yeah whatever they were you know uh trying to show off the latest products it's all about uh, i think marketing and advertising of back course and you know yeah. what i mean you know yeah right. <laughs> yeah and then you know we get up to a point where like i remember six seven years ago when refrigerators started hooking up to your Wi-Fi yeah. and the telephones and I'm like, well, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> right. Well, I, I I guess I'm a simpleton because we were at my wife's aunt and uncle's place
0: and she was on her phone yeah. controlling the washer and dryer. Right. And I was, I was just baffled by right. that. I, and uh, I stood up on the couch where I was sitting and I made a declaration. This is the future! <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: but as time went on, things seemed to be heading in the opposite direction. A dumbing down. How did this happen? We, we totally sound like 90-year-old men. All no, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a grumpy old
0: man. I don't like everything the way it is now compared to the way it used to be. But yeah, so the space race thing definitely, as we said, it was the fodder for the imaginations of all of these creators. For sure. Not just novelists and stuff, but comic book creators and TV people
1: and everything. Right, because. We we talk about in our um, little green men episode how a lot of the um, the early parts of the space race and the atomic experimentation and breaking the sound barriers and all that stuff right. probably had a big influence on people looking up to the skies and thinking they're seeing flying saucers or maybe they are seeing flying saucers right Bob Lazar but anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like you said the rocket ship program mm-hmm. to the moons and all that stuff or the like the earlier gemini tests just going out into space and all that stuff that really kind of like you know because it, it infected design too yeah. because i know in a, you know being a car guy there was this whole thing in the late 50s to and early 60s where they started incorporating in american cars anyway they started incorporating kind of like the rocket age into it where like oh okay exhaust pipes would come out of uh the bumper and be like in- integrated into it to look like little rocket ships oh. and Oh. And they were doing all kinds of stuff like that, and and probably in like uh, kitchen design too. Oh right. Beauty of design and easy accessibility are the highlights of the modern cookateria. A place for everything and everything in
2: its place.
0: Let us mosey on over to 1968.
1: Right. This is a big
0: one. This is a huge leap forward, not just in not just in science fiction films, right. but in future-ish films and taking the premise seriously, mm-hmm. and also extremely innovative minds mm-hmm. on this project. One of them being Stanley Kubrick. Right. And that's 1968's 2001 A Space Odyssey. I found interesting about this was that the movie came out first before the book. I thought it was made because of the book But
1: actually the movie came out first, but he did yeah He did help what helping him write it though, right? Yeah, he was helping.
0: Yeah No, he was there and and of course Kubrick being Kubrick had all of these Specialists coming in and talking with them and saying, you know, yeah, what how if we had a space station, mm-hmm. how could we get real gravity right functioning in that thing and so right. the things that you see in the space station and this thing how it's turning and
1: they're walking on that the st- centrifugal force right. of it was which is really how we would do yeah. that yeah, yeah exactly just spinning it outward and so that everything's pulling out to the side right yeah it's gen- it's genius and, and
0: so yeah and so the tech that they're designing to be able to shoot it to where it looks real on film is also their having to come up with sets to support it because that's the way you would do it in real life Mm -hmm. or supposed real life if it really happened kind of thing. It's just it's amazing how this film is a cornerstone not just for how to shoot space movies or how to shoot cool special effects but also NASA and real futurists looking at this and going we can do this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and here's the sticky part of that, right? We you know, we live in a society that doesn't trust anything, and right. everything's a fucking conspiracy, right? So of course. That conspiracy lends to the fact that 2001 Space Odyssey looked so good that mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick was the one hired to fake the moon landings and all that stuff a year later. A year later, right. Right. So I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't buy it. So. Right.
0: Well, I mean, everyone has a right to their own opinion, and that's your thing if you believe that. But, I mean, I just yeah. find it endlessly fascinating about this movie is that Stanley Kubrick would go on to become the director that we know as, in our belief anyway, a visual genius and the master storyteller and stuff like that. And this movie is probably one of his most right, uh, right. widely accepted and and touted as a genius filmmaking at the time it was released because all his other films wouldn't be that way. It would take years. Yeah, Other people would see the films following this this and second guess it as, oh, this is boring and it's logged through and the story's not good or the acting's over the top. And they would judge it like that and not see the genius in it until many years later. Right. And right. then they'd be like, oh, wait, it is
1: genius. Or all of his other movies, <laughs> yeah, after the fact, yeah. No, and then also, too, if you, a lot of the more famous uh, directors that came after him, say your James Cameron's and your George Lucas and your Steven mm. Spielberg and right. uh, Ridley Scott, all of these guys are going to say, I was blown away when I went to see 2001 A Space Odyssey in the theater, and that made me want to be a filmmaker. Right, yeah. Th- that's that's the other way this movie is incredibly influential, too. But, oh, um, totally.
2: Yes. Well, I became interested in the idea that <clears throat> the
1: universe uh, was full of intelligent civilizations, which is the current scientific belief. Well, the facts in the film only help you believe the story. Some of the camera tricks they did for making the pen float on the, you know, it's yeah. pretty fun, you know, yeah. uh, space, you know, it's just like, a, it's on stuck on a piece of glass you know and and the camera doesn't know that right right but there's a few scenes in that same era right there where the guy is holding what looks like it would be an iPad right yeah and you have to look at that and think Steve Jobs is going hmm as a a young man you know or maybe he saw it in the 90s and said right hmm Hmm. iPad let me start with something smaller and I'll work my way up to that right yeah. yeah you never know though so what's your history with 2001? Mm, um, I think it was one of those ones because it was influential on my parents. They wanted me to watch it as a little kid. And I remember watching it and <laughs> probably because it's a little too dense for me and a little oh, right, and definitely right. s- slow paced. Right, without a doubt, yeah. Once they do finally get to the Hal parts and him wigging out a bit, then it starts to catch my interest. I, I do kind of remember that. and, and right. But also I think even in the early 80s when I saw it, it still looked really, really good for its time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I probably rewatched it a few times, you know, more as an adult, and then really, you know, seeing it for its genius and all that. Right. And I think I saw it most recently, about a year ago. Okay. I'll let you tell your story, and then there's something about then that it deals with the future stuff that I, I kind of hit me in that moment of watching it last year that uh, we'll get to. So put a tack on that, Derek. Ooh, let's put that up here and wrap
0: some yarn around it so we'll leave back <laughs> to it. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I came to this as a kid. Again, it was one of those things because it checked off two marks in my book, mm-hmm. which was its space yeah. and its future. Right and so check check I want to watch this I rent it as a kid I'm probably eight mm-hmm. maximum <laughs> yeah I rent it I put it in and all of a sudden it's like apes and oh yeah right, right. classical With music playing the... right. and I am like I got fucking gypped <laughs> what is this yeah. where's space right what's the future what's going right. on you know unless Charleston Heston
1: shows up soon I got ripped <laughs> off yeah right and then there's that harsh transition from right the, from the bone being thrown yeah to the spaceship out in space which is which genius is brilliant of course everybody knows that but yeah as an eight-year-old you're going what what <laughs> where'd, where'd the monkeys go <laughs> here's the thing is i didn't make it through to see that because oh, really? i was just
0: like yeah i got pissed
1: oh i was wow. just like
0: what is this crap? And I'm, I'm pulling the VHS out and looking at the front like, it says 2001, a space odyssey, but it's not space. <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's
1: funny. It's, it's supposed to be primitive man, but um, right. like Cro-Magnon man or whatever, uh, what their perception was in 1968 anyway, which has uh-huh. evolved quite a bit itself. Right. But... Um, that prelude there is a good, what, 10, 15 minutes, At it? least 15 yeah. minutes, I think. Which is like an hour in an eight-year-old uh, time <laughs> right. per- perception. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Five minutes, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and so, yeah,
0: I remember putting it back in a little case and putting it there, and that was it. And then finally, you know, years later when I'm like 16, 17, mm-hmm. and I see that remembering that mm-hmm. and thinking like... Disappointment. I, I want to watch that because maybe I... I maybe it was weird and I got something mixed up with the tape or so you know what I mean yeah. I just thought maybe I did something wrong so I put it back in and sure enough there comes the apes again and I go no this is what I remember I wonder <laughs> what's going so I just you know sat through it this time a little more composed and everything and then finally get to that stuff and just just seeing it the visuals of it right was like Wow, But then, you know, you go on this journey with the film. They have this big, long part where they're on the moon and they're walking towards the monolith that's on the moon. Right. And it's this annoying, weird, on-your-edge noise playing. It
2: (laughs) It
0: goes on like it seems like forever. And I'm just like what is this guy doing? Like right. who, you know, cause I didn't know Kubrick at the time as yeah. far as like identifying him as a director or anything like that. So I was just like, what, what is going on with this whole thing? And so I know I watched it all the way through, but I think I hit a point where I was just kind of like, I just want this movie to be over kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, It yeah. tries your patience as a young person, especially someone who was,
1: I think grew up with Star Wars.
0: Yeah, us. We were pre-designed to the if it's in space, there better be fucking
1: action going on. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? And this is definitely not that movie. No, no, <laughs> not at all. You know, and then after the crux of the situation, the movie goes fucking ape psychotic for the last yeah. five minutes of the movie, and you're like, I, right. don't, I, I remember not even you know still trying to understand as an <laughs> right. as an adult what the hell <laughs> right. the ending was about. Right. But the situation with HAL and the computer and it's yeah. doing its thing and it's turning on it. So, of course, you know, a lot of times when we talk about AI, we're often talking about it from a, a scary perspective, right? And this right. HAL Nine, it's 9000 is the computer that's basically running the ship for these two astronauts. Correct. Uh, especially while they're in in sleep hibernation or whatever. Mm-hmm. Good evening, Dave. How you doing, HAL? Everything's running smoothly, and you? Oh, not too bad. Have you been doing some more work?
2: A few sketches. May I see them? Sure.
1: And uh, eventually, you know, as the movie goes on, the, sh- the Hal starts showing... He starts to get a little weird, and then starts showing signs of, like, he's turning against the guys, right? And they right. figure it out, and then they make plans to how to deactivate him and all that stuff. Right. What it was about my last viewing of this last year was, like... Instead of seeing the computer, Hal, turning evil, more or less, I didn't see him turning evil. I saw him being ill. Like, he's sick. Perhaps I'm just projecting my own concern about it. I know I've never completely
2: freed myself of the suspicion that there are some extremely odd things about this mission.
1: Yeah. It's almost like... um we were talking about off transmission when uh, psychopathy tends to enter the male mind most mostly. It's mostly male mind, but uh, right around the age of twenty one, give or take some years. Right? right, and it's almost as if this this computer was kind of uh, falling into its mental illness while on the job and and right. started becoming paranoid and uh, not trusting everything. And, and and so it's not turning evil. It's turned. It's sick. It's mentally ill. Right. and I thought. Uh, what I, that never really broached my mind before. That a comp- and and here he's doing this back in 1968, talking about a a computer that goes a little um, a little insane, more or less. Not so much, uh, just turns evil for the sake of turning evil. Right. As I had viewed it so many years before. Right. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. You know, like because uh, that probably. Is a weird anomaly. It's a it's a weird anomaly in us as a human machine. You know. Right. Why couldn't it happen with uh, a complicated uh, uh, programming? We get viruses, so yeah. can they. Yeah. And and so the computers get viruses. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean that's a little different. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, computer can get sick. Right. In, in a viral way. Right.
0: Eventually, just to work my way back to this real quick is that when I finally watched the movie on its terms, mm-hmm. I was in San Francisco. And there was this old-time picture house uh, called The the Castro. Mm-hmm. And it was old-time theater, balcony, beautiful. This old That's the whole district. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Castro it's district. a whole district. Yeah, but it's a uh, main big movie theater there. They play old movies. It's, it's all on film. And so I got to see a 70-millimeter cut of it. And there's something that happens when you're not watching it on a TV, Mm -hmm. that when the movie's bigger than you, and you're sitting in front of it, and you don't have the access to, I'm gonna look at my phone, or I'm gonna look at a book, or I'm gonna, you know what I mean? Right. All you can do is watch this movie. You become, I did, Mm -hmm. just enraptured. Uh-huh. With the whole journey of the film, and when even when it gets to that weird part that you're saying at the end yeah. and everything, it's just kind of like it. It's so all encompassing when you. It's so big right. in front of you that right. it's just like, oh my god, it's just so beautiful and overwhelming and, and uh-huh. stuff like that. And so when the uh, what you were saying about the whole Hal thing, you know, when I saw it for that time, I was really just like, Hal is also yeah, he's like you say, that's a good analogy is that he's sick in mental illness or something like that but he sees they're plotting against him oh yeah yeah and he's defending himself right you know what i mean and so that's that artificial intelligence that you're saying i'm not just here to help you i'm
1: growing in uh, consciousness. Yeah, that's that's like where the paranoia kicks in, you know? Uh, right. He feels like he needs to read their lips to know what they're saying. Right. Because I don't know if I trust them. Yeah, exactly. I, and I'm scared of everything that's happening right now, and who are these two motherfuckers? <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's that genius thing that
0: Kubrick is uh, able to do, is you don't need this giant robotic scary thing to scare you. he's mm-hmm. just this slow pan in on this weird... Red light eye thing yeah, that right, HAL is, right, yeah. and you're unnerved
1: by it. Oh sure.
0: Anyway, sure. not to get too much into describing the film or anything, but just this is really interesting to me is things that the film got right as far as predicting mm-hmm. things yeah. was HAL artificial yeah. intelligence, right. iPads like you said, yeah. lip reading computers, right. moon landing of course which was the next year, video calls, right. and a space station. Right, right. And then one of the smaller things that it mentioned, too, was that before this film came out, there was no thought of how would you put in a windshield where the main area is to look out when you're piloting in
1: space. Uh-huh. And that became a thing because of this movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. You kind of need to see where you're going. Right, right. I mean, ask Han Solo in the asteroid
2: field. <laughs> uh, What are you doing? actually going into an
1: asteroid field. They'd be crazy to follow us, wouldn't they? It? It's interesting in the portrayal of Hal being this kind of monotone... Almost unsympathetic, yet he has emotions, kind of thing. The two astronauts are also portrayed and acting the same way too, so that it it puts them all three of them on the same level of dynamicism in their personalities, right? Right. So that when one goes off, you know, you're like, what is going on? Right. And you
0: also see the correlation of how Hal talks to when we get up to Knight Rider and how Knight
1: Rider (laughs) talks. Oh, for sure. The only difference is the little red eye is going back and forth. Right, right, that's Which they stole from Battlestar Galactica (laughs) anyway. Do you wish further information on Silicon Valley? Hell no, I want to know who you are and how you're listening in. There's no
2: reason for increased volume. I am scanning your interrogatives quite satisfactorily. I am the voice of Knight Industry 2000's microprocessor, KITT for easy reference. A kit if you prefer.
1: Kit's <laughs> noise is the same noise as a fucking Cylon's <laughs> noise. The old Cylon. Mm-hmm. But both are in the future. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> So um, let's go, let's let's flip the page a little bit here. We're still Mm. gonna be talking about artificial intelligence, but in a different way, an unintentional artificial intelligence. But it's also set in the future
0: yeah of the time that when this was made right 1973 that's Westworld Mm -hmm. your
2: attention please we will soon be landing at Westworld the ultimate resort we have you on grid five over it consists of three worlds of the past locking in now worlds where you can live out your every fantasy
1: Directed and written by Michael Crichton. You You may know me from such movies as Jurassic Park and Congo. (laughs) And and Congo. (laughs) Please forget the Congo part. (laughs) 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 Right. So it's funny, too. So I rewatched Westworld last night as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen it in probably, um, I'm going to say 15 years, maybe 10. Okay. I might have watched it ahead of the... um, the HBO series coming out, just to kind of... Which we are also talking about. Yeah, we're going to talk about that as well, because they're basically one and the same thing. Just What we can talk about in that is, like, the view of what Westworld would look like from 1973's perspective... Versus what would Westworld look like from whenever that show came 2016. out, 2016. 16's perspective, yeah, I and mean, how different that is, right? And the you know the evolution of thought and technology, right?
0: And that's coming from Jonathan Nolan, Lisa Joy, and J.J. Abrams, which I did not know.
1: Yeah, right. And um, so Michael Crichton, he's kind of stuck on this whole um, theme park go wrong thing, <laughs> because every movie he's done has been about a theme except for Congo, has been about a theme park go wrong. That was probably the first draft of the Congo. He was like, it's apes <laughs> yeah. in a, in a theme park the theme park yeah the one talks to <laughs> us through a sign language anyway um, he definitely enjoys the phrase spared no expense right mm-hmm It's fun in the in the 1973 film. It opens up on like a uh, in film kind of meta uh, travel brochure uh, uh, in motion. Yeah, like a like come come to our cool attraction. And you know they're having there's this guy kind of acting like a journalist interviewer. You know, and he's catching people coming out of the park and asking them questions about their experiences. Right. And, And through this is how we learn how the whole park works, what it is. It immerses you in a part of history from the past. You know, there's three worlds. Right. Right. There's uh, medieval world, there's Roman world, and there's West world, right? Right. And they're all like out, and you have to take these fancy ass like hovercrafts out there and work your way into the thing, get into costume, and then you you walk out and you're in the world, right? If you turn left and you go down a mile, you have Jurassic World. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there it is. Yeah. Hey. Shut up, Chris Pratt, you <laughs> wiener. Anyway. Before
0: you continue, though, I think this is really funny. This goes to what I was saying earlier with how Fritz Lang set it in 2000 Yeah. with Metropolis. Michael Crichton decides, 1973, I'm going to set this Westworld movie, I'm going to set it in the future to 1983.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so 10 years down the road. Suddenly we have, like, full anatomic, un- you can't tell apart uh, from human uh, androids walking around and hovercrafts and all this stuff. Yeah, I'm like, well, wow, that's really let's kick it up a few decades. Yeah, there. I think <laughs> it, at least 1993 <laughs> when Jurassic Park comes out. <laughs> yeah and we're following mrs barbara streisand and, <laughs> right. and his friend uh, uh into the west world right uh, josh brolin's dad james brolin is one of the two uh, uh cowboys heading into westworld it's pretty fun right You're looking handsome looking just like uh pw herman himself you know mr herman mr herman you have a telephone call at the front desk I'm a loner, Dottie. A rebel. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, and and the whole premise of the movie is that, if you've seen the TV show Westworld, it's the same. Mm-hmm. The man in black that they keep encountering in Westworld, super cool, it's Yule Brenner. Yeah. Straight off of, what is the Magnificent Seven, right? Yep. Was that the one he's in? Yep. I've been offered a lot for my work, but never everything. Kind of a similar character, bravado, really tough, but you know, because he's a robot, he doesn't talk much. Right. And he keeps getting shot up by uh, our hero guy and, uh... I think on the fourth time, he's basically like somehow the robot's like, you know what? Fuck this! That's right. <laughs> I'm gonna shoot back. But <laughs> what's interesting about the movie that I I didn't quite remember is the whole De- the Delos Corporation that's running the park. Right. It's very similar to how they portray it in the TV show. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it just just with a lot more technology in the TV show. Right. But I kind of forgot there's this whole underground, uh, officing and all that stuff and right. they're monitoring the park and, you know, the one guy there's the one uh, he's. like a balding guy who's kind of like in charge of Westworld or whatever and he's kind of no or not he's in charge of all the worlds right and 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 they're kind of taking in from the different parts of the day how different robots are doing things that they shouldn't be here and there right as the movie is progressing along it starts getting each one is a little more intrusive than the next the 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 robot failures and they'll show the robots coming in after at the end of the day where they're being worked and on and repaired for the next day they're, they're making notes about, well, why did it do this? And what do you think we can do to f- keep that from happening again? And all that stuff. All right. The overall gist is you're kind of getting this feeling like, well, there's no explanation and they're just kind of doing it. You know what I mean? All right. It's kind of cool. And it really comes to fruition with the Yul Brenner character. And, uh, yeah. and then in the Black Knight, also in medieval worlds, mm-hmm. challenging that guy. Yep.
0: Ah! Shut down. Shut down immediately. As we were saying, you know, the Westworld TV show you know, takes this concept Right. Ends up turning it into, a, you know, have a way bigger canvas to really tell the story Right. And incorporate new, newer characters and stuff, but also keeping in characters that were in the movie and stuff, like the, like the man in black. Yeah, yeah. This time played by another badass, Ed Harris. Ed Harris, right. Yeah. You know, I always
2: felt this place was missing a, a real villain. Hence my
1: humble contribution here's my problem with westworld the tv show is it's so fucking layered and playing with time that it's almost impossible to follow without taking notes right kind of the way game of thrones can be complicated sometimes because there's so many characters and names and lands and and family houses but this is like takes that and dials it up to 46 because by the time season 2 ended of Westworld I was exhausted I was like I, I don't really understand what the fuck just happened <laughs> I mean I know some of it the one guy is the man in black and there's been jumping time back and forth I get that right. I don't understand what the hell the whole thing is you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> Right. and then season 3 it gets I guess it would be Crichton's part of the future world which is the modern world well... the vision of the future in in the TV show is amazing though
0: You originally saw this film version as as a kid. kid, Yeah. And do you
1: remember being like, whoa? Uh, I don't think I was whoa. I think I was just, I think it was more one of those, like my dad's like, oh, you got to watch this. This is cool. It's kind of freaky. And then kind of being like, yeah, it's fun, but I'm not like scared by it, you know? Right.
0: You're like, it's not fucking Star Wars, dad.
1: (laughs) These aren't the droids you're looking for. These aren't the droids we're
0: looking for. I was, uh, I saw this probably, I was more like 10, 11, Mm -hmm. and of course I saw it because, again, it's set in the future. Yeah. And so I really liked it Mm -hmm. up till this point with all of the movies that I saw about the future. Yeah. It, none of them felt dated like this one did when you're watching it.
1: Right. It does feel like you're watching a 70s movie when you're watching. Well, and here's the, here's the thing, right? You know, computer chips and motherboards and all of that shit was very foreign to the population of 1973. Oh, yeah. Right? So when they are showing these robots being worked on and open up, all they did is just like, it's almost like they took a personal computer and broke it apart and threw it inside of a mannequin. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like you take you take Yul Brenner's face off and it's like this little mouth horn and a right. couple of sensors and a few motherboards in there. And I'm right. like,
0: whoo. It says Commodore 64 on the top. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs>
1: yeah. Right. 64K
2: memory at a price that will put a computer in every home, business, school years before
1: anyone ever dreamed. And compare that to the way they portray it in Westworld the TV show and it's that's genius beautiful it's, it's beautiful yeah the way they do the white material Wash, that kind yeah. of almost like 3D prints them and right. you know and it starts from the very center of their nervous system and works their way out to the bones and right to the, it's so cool it's so cool yeah yeah it takes the idea and makes it way more tangible to us now
0: oh yeah for sure Seeing it the first time for me, because it felt so dated, I had a hard time getting lost in the world. Yeah, well, not just, I just kept getting lo- lost in, oh, I wanted a future movie. This is a Western. And then oh. elements would come in of futurist or medieval world or these guys in the labs and stuff like that. But I never invested, I remember distinctly as a kid thinking, like, I wanted, this is not what I wanted. Yeah. This is not what I wanted out of a future movie. But I still liked it for what it was. Mm -hmm. I just never... I never took it and put it on a mantle of this is a future movie that had a lot of cool things in it and stuff like that even though it does in retrospect I'm looking back on it but I don't think I saw the coolness of it or even took it into like my memory bank as a future movie until the 2016 show hit and then I go oh yeah that was a very innovative movie back then that what he was doing even though I I, I do think that it probably could have been shot a little differently to not make it so dated yeah, I, I definitely appreciate it a lot more now than I did as a kid. <laughs> wanting to see again, probably a kid wanting to see flying cars and hovering things like right, they have in right. the movie, but not
1: represented correctly to oh, me. Oh, you just barely see the, yeah. the hovercraft and you never right. see the full thing, you know, it's right. always on like a monitor and uh, yeah, perspectives of it. But, um, the first movie touches on it a little bit, the show, like spends the first couple seasons dealing with the kind of debauchery of human desire, right? You know, it's basically a place for you to go and live out your worst possible fantasies of being a murderer or a rapist or a gambler who can win or shoot shoot the guy, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Which is the scary thought of what would really happen, right? And the depravity of man. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That whole thing. And
0: then that raises all of these questions. I think with the movie, too, but uh, probably more with the show which is you know is the
1: AI in the story really evil yeah or do they really have a cause to rebel and I think if you well, I think all of these themes are very muddled in the 1970s they're yes. there but barely in there right like the the taking advantage of the uh, sex workers and, and right shooting the sheriff to get out of the jail and all that stuff right but in the you know because society had advanced so much and 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 what we can show is more acceptable of, of the darkness of humanity right And also the canvas is so much bigger, right? Yeah, and the canvas is so much bigger, but we can explore that way more. And and I feel like what they're trying to say is if these robots do become sentient, which was what we find out, you know, if you're into the series, it's by design. It was done on purpose, uh, you know, because the mad genius, he thought it was time for humanity to end and, and planted the seed for AI to come out. And we... Evan Rachel Wood's character in that show uh, is kind of the first one to break out and right. start to have uh, consciousness. Right. And and once you see, and when you see it from her perspective, because this is what is different. There, the show is showing uh, from her perspective what her life is like, mm-hmm. having to relive this shit over and over again with slightly different consequences of whatever a guest is coming up to her and right. either taking advantage of her or shooting her or whatever, you know. And then that's when you start to see, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, they, they have a cause. They have a, the hum, humans suck. Yeah. You know, and. Uh, and as this starts springboarding off of these
0: other characters, like Taddea Newton's character and her kid, yeah. and James Martison and all of his yeah. the stuff that he got, all of that stuff is, I think especially in the first first season season. yeah
1: it goes way off the rails after that
0: beautifully woven in the first season and then just the subtle performances even by anthony hopkins which i think he just does a masterful performance he's very subtle there is no threshold that makes us greater than some of our parts no
2: inflection point at which we become fully alive
1: we can't define consciousness because consciousness does not exist and our buddy Jeffrey Wright. And I'm so happy
0: that he got that show just to finally give him a springboard that everyone else could
1: see how great he is. Because that's yeah. like, like I said in our Batman Volume 3 episode, I talked about how I hadn't really been familiar with Jeffrey Wright much. Right. I think he was one of those character actors that was a character actor until Westworld right. when he stood out to me and I... Really took notice, and right. that's when I was happy to see him in the Batman, you know, because right. I knew what he could do because of Westworld, you know. Right. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and and it's just it's also you know to give us an opportunity to you know Westworld '73 versus Westworld 2015, same story, different you know. Right. The difference between what the future looked like in '73 versus what the future looked like in 2015 is pretty astronomical. Oh yeah. Astronomically different.
0: Yeah. And also, you know? I mean, you gotta you gotta look as it's like we said this. 73 version of Westworld set in 83. Yeah. The show is set in 2053. Right. So that gives them a big leapfrog to kind of... Allow, right. I probably, if I were a contributor to ideas of the show, I probably would have told them to
1: push it a little bit more. Like, yeah, 2073 or
0: something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, not sticking on this one too long, I just thought that especially looking back at the 73 film now, how it it, it does correctly present how humans of the future, which is us now, our fascination with an AI in an attraction, whether it be a theme park or games or anything like that, we really do kind of thrive on that now as far as you know a lot of entertainment for us Mm -hmm. even if it's jurassic park the ride (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: look a scary dinosaur going by slowly and staring at us we spared no expense
0: hey there folks We just wanted to let you know in case you wanted to reach out and have any questions for us or even wanted to answer some of the questions that we've posed to each other during the show. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at at
1: TFTFP podcast. Yes. Sometimes you might want to use Twitter instead.
2: Yes. And if that's the case,
1: Mm -hmm. you go to uh, the address there. It's a little different. It's podcast TFTFP.
0: Hey, if you want to send us a shiny old email... You can do that at podcast at gmail.com.
1: That is beyond the truth,
0: my friend.
1: Mm. And do us all a favor and like, subscribe, and review us because it helps us out. Uh, Let's kick it up another nine years and Uh since we've been talking about I've been mentioning Han Solo left and right Why don't (laughs) we why don't we talk about? uh, Harrison Ford in Ridley Scott's Blade Runner
2: They don't advertise for killers in a newspaper That was my profession ex-cop ex-Blade Runner ex-killer
0: Right. Yeah. Let's talk about how they decided to set this in
1: 2019. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Flying cars didn't work out.
0: No, no. Yeah. Well, oh, well. Damn it. So this movie, of course, is based on a book by another really prolific writer, Philip K. Dick. Mm -hmm. And that was Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. Mm -hmm. That was put out in 1968. Yeah. Which is just crazy to think about some of the themes from this movie being represented in this so
1: you know if you want to hear about our personal stories with the, with Blade Runner uh you can check out our episode uh, Opinions Change it's on our first season and all that stuff we talked all about uh Blade Runner and how how we came it, to it kind of like you had with the uh, uh 2001 experience right. it, 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 it just was boring and slow right and then when you see it as an adult it gets better so and I had a similar experience with Blade Runner as well right but um like you said, it's set in 2019, which we've already passed. And um, mm-hmm. it kind of gives this, uh, it's a, another dystopian future where right. things have kind of devolved a bit. And kind of like in Metropolis, there is that lower class society that's stuck yep. in the ground and they have that- How gibberish
2: he talked was city speak. Gutter talk, a mishmash of Japanese, Spanish, German, what have you.
1: Gutter talk, yeah, all that stuff. Right. I thought that was interesting to, to talk about his dialect, because we talk in our our dialogue dialect episode. We do talk about the evolution of language and how it changes over time. No,
0: I thought that was genius. Some of the things that they start bringing again, like Ridley Scott. He's one of these directors. He brings in some futurists, and says, "What do you think? Well, where, where yeah. what, what, thing, what will things look like and stuff?" I and mean, we want to honor. You know what Philip K. Dick said in in his novel, but we're not going to be beholden to it, yeah. And then, uh, but we also want to go off on our own little tangents, and because. Uh, Ridley Scott is so very visual. He Mm -hmm. also has to go off on his own tangents where, you know, there's smoke in a room for no reason at all. (laughs) But, yeah, he's looking at futurists and and saying, you know, society pushed together and stuff like this. Things start to evolve and and mutate into ways and so language was definitely one of the things they brought up and everything else. But the one thing that they pushed, all of them said across the board, and, and Ridley Scott coming from advertising, it was just like, yeah, this is something I really want to push. And that's how everyone is inundated at in this time with ads. Ads are bigger than everything, you know, like right. Coca-Cola and Atari and Pan Am, yeah, and, you know, right, all of right. these things. Which are... is
1: one of those things that came true. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and it's just, it's crazy to, to think how... He's showing this future in a way all of this stuff is kind of diluted society. Mm -hmm. And when you look at certain parts, you go downtown, especially at night, and you look at certain things, especially in a big city, you Mm -hmm. can kind of see the remnants of Blade Runner all around and stuff. So Mm -hmm. those guys really kind of had their finger on the pulse of certain
1: things. Right. Not so much on the flying cars, though. Yeah, that's the one thing they missed, right? Right. I always thought the cars in in Blade Runner were goofy looking, too, because they're so not very aesthetically pleasing. They're kind of bulky and weird and and, right. and have angles in places that don't really, uh, aren't pleasing to the eye.
0: So here's one of the things that I thought was cool. I looked this up and, and in the movie, there are flying cars, but one of the holdouts from one, apparently one of the futurists is what I read to Ridley Scott was if you're going to do flying cars, just make it something government officials would drive or police or something like that and, and, and leave it there. Not regular people. He's like, because it doesn't make sense. Right. Why would you give licenses to people who could barely drive cars to fly <laughs> around and smash into buildings and stuff? He's like, no, but it makes more sense to me if because police have helicopters and oh, yeah. Ridley didn't. He wanted it more populated with cars. Right. So the look of it is what won out over the more sense of it, I guess. Oh, and everything. Okay. But if they would have yeah. stuck to that, I, I, I like that. I right. like that if there's going to be flying cars, everyone's flying around on a car cuz that's ridiculous. <laughs>
1: yeah. The only way that works is if in the minority report aspect of what Elon Musk is trying to push is the autonomy thing right. where all cars work together to not crash into each other, right. you right. know. And and I kind of think of that sometimes, you know, when you see Coruscant chase in uh, episode 2 of yeah. Attack of the Clones uh, Star Wars and they have that, you know, multi-layered Coruscant uh, vehicle thing I thought is, is the the thought pattern there, is that you get into that street zone and you're in an autonomous, uh, Right. you would hope, you would hope anyway. Right.
2: Hold on, Hold
1: on. And like I said, in M- Minority Report kind of introduced that as well. Right, for sure. Oh, while we're on the subject of Minority Report, right? One of the biggest things in Minority Report with Tom Cruise uh, that kind of stuck with everybody, is the gesture control uh, computer thing where he's mm-hmm. pulling stuff up and expanding the the uh, the screen and the, the screen is a hologram and all that stuff. Right. Well, like I, I've said in past episodes, I'm a BMW technician and BMW took that idea and made it real. So there is, for a lot of your um, infotainment controls or your air conditioning and turning your fan for your air conditioning up and down, there's all kinds of hand movements. You have to memorize the hand movements, but you can just, Instead of touching the button, you can just be driving and you lift your right hand in front of the camera and do like a twirly mark like this and it'll turn the radio up in the air. So that's kind of wild how we're talking about stuff from movies that influence uh, yeah. reality and that's one of them. And that one exists today. Right. <laughs> the problem is, is I don't think I think probably 1% of the BMW owners who have a gesture control in the car actually use it or just use it. Yeah. It's that's awesome. I mean, one thing that's interesting
0: on that and you brought that up, how that movie influenced things also, it did that and influenced them and they made it a real thing in BMW, but it also mm-hmm. made the people making Iron Man say, how can we make it look super awesome? His tech lab and stuff like oh, that. Right. And, and they saw Minority report and said, we got to have something like that.
1: Right. Exactly. So you Marvel yeah. fans out there, it came from Minority Report, Stinkers. Jarvis, you up? Always. We'll uh, I'd like to open a
2: new project file indexed as Mark Two.
0: Yeah. So the things that the film and Blade Runner got right about the future, though. Yeah. Not the cars. Yeah. <laughs> but product promotion, like we said. Yeah. Right. He had the voice-activated tech in his apartment. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: all of that stuff. We have it today. Yeah, it's pretty wild, you know. And, you, you know, if you're we're wealthy enough, you know, you can have homes built around that today. Right. Know, to, have, to have it, like, pre-wired for all that stuff. You
0: yeah. Know? You can even have your washer and dryer on. Oh,
1: my refrigerator is texting me, telling me I'm out of, almost out of mayonnaise. <laughs> I don't care, refrigerator. How'd you get this number? <laughs> <laughs> Block. Blocking you. Blocking you.
0: Since we're on that though, just to go back to Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, I read this a long time ago. When, well, mm-hmm. probably around the time I saw that Blade Runner and, and enjoy it. Yeah. yeah, I read the book just to see where it came from. And the books, they're they're very different. They're, there's mm-hmm. a core theme in it, but they're very different. So one of the things though that uh, Philip K. Dick mentions in it is one is called the mood organ, mm-hmm. and the mood organ is this thing that uh, you get up in the morning, mm-hmm. and you can type into this little box how you want to feel that day? I want to feel cool. happy. I want to feel sleepy. I want to feel relaxed. I want to feel sad if you want to feel a sad emotion or something like any well any of that stuff. And that to the minute I reread that for for doing the show, I was just like, "Well, that's that's like what we have in drugs anyway, you know, your Monday, <laughs> yeah, Tuesday, right. Wednesday, cap, you're just like, okay, well, I want to feel happy. I'm going to take this pill. I want right, to feel, right. you know, relax. I'll take this pill. And so right. th- that's crazy to me. And then there's another thing called the empathy box. Mm-hmm. And the empathy box is this thing that anyone in the world can hook into. Right. And to feel more human, right. they can hook into this thing. And there's a, uh, this, I think it's called Mercer's heel, mm-hmm. going up the hill. As he's climbing the hill, rocks are falling down the hill. Sometimes they hit him and you can feel the pain of this guy going up the hill that you're experiencing while you're watching this. And this is to help you feel, not just sympathize with someone's sorrowful stories or something, but also right. feel their pain to feel human. But while you're tapped into this box all these other people can see that you're tapped into this box so this becomes in some forms like a societal thing where right. i want people to see how how genuine
1: yeah. i am by
0: being right. here by and feeling empathy right right, right.
1: Right like, and so you're bragging on your 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 how empathetic you are. Right
0: and everyone can see it. Kind of like Facebook.
1: <laughs> exactly like Facebook. <laughs> Granted Facebook is is dying out as oh, we right. all know. Yeah. But there's the all the spent all this time like oh uh, you know people posting pictures of like oh I'm at the uh, soup kitchen today volunteering, you know, I'm such right. a great person, you know that kind of shit, right. you know. Yeah,
0: and, and that to me just those two things I mean there's other things in the book of course but those two things really jumped out to me it's just like oh god that's yeah, he kind of nailed to it to me that just screamed that to me like wow he, he kind of knew
1: where he was going with this thing yeah all, all the way back in when the book was written in 1968 right
0: the one thing that, that I wanted to add to this whole thing and it could be tied up in a question is that the replicants want to be human right. and can they be human even though, if you take away the four-year cycle that they introduced in the film of you know they only have four years to live, but right. you know Roy Batty, who's played by uh, Roger Howard in the film, mm-hmm. brilliantly, he he just wants to be human, but he's pushed to a point of where he'll do inhuman things to try to get that from whoever made him or whoever he will he just wants life man yeah and me being uh, a father very recently yeah you i look at things a little differently now that i never would have really even thought about which is how humans don't know certain things until you teach them that yeah at the core of certain human things There's these things like because I have a kid now, I'm around uh, other kids and and older, some older kids, and and stuff. And you see how you have to train a kid. If there's a bird, you can't grab it by the neck as hard as you <laughs> yeah. want. You're going to kill yeah. that. But the kid doesn't know that right. they're going right. to kill things. They just don't know anything about life. Unless and he's Lenny, and then he'll never
1: learn. <laughs> right. <And> he'll, <laughs> he'll break that poor woman's neck. Right. You have
0: a dog who grab it by the ears too hard, whatever. You know, they just they don't get it. Yeah, they right. don't get that. thing. you have to teach that. So how different... Does that make us from how they depict these replicants are? Because they don't really, you know, these replicants are like kids. They don't know.
1: Yeah, they don't know. They're They're just doing their thing.
0: Yeah, they have no idea. They have to be kind of taught these things. And if if you leave a kid to its own devices they're going to act out in extreme ways because they don't know any better and if you didn't teach mm-hmm. them any better you know what I mean and so yeah, right. the replicants don't know and they're also being hunted so now you put them in a state of panic and that all stuff that stuff just fascinates me even more about them.
1: what seems to be the problem
2: death death well I'm afraid that's a little out of my jurisdiction You. I want more life father
1: you, you almost have to kind of teach a morality to uh, an infant and a, right. And a toddler.
0: Right. Uh, and I never, or, ever would have even thought about that, even thinking as my own, me as a yeah, kid right. on my own. But I'm like, yeah, yeah we have to be. Th- how weird are we as humans that we have to be taught <laughs> not to kill things?
1: You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Well, some would say, and an, uh, like a pure anarchist would say, why do you need to teach a kid that? <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you know. Like we said, there's opinions everywhere. Yeah, right. Well, And, and there was a time in, in history where it was almost necessary to teach the kid to do that. Or you look at some of these, like, El Salvadorian-type murder squads, where those guys are trained to be murderers from the age of five. On, right. And so the pathology is beaten into them right. so that by the time they are a physical specimen they're doing their job for you as anyway, it's, yeah, it's strange, you know, it's a matter of perspective and it it also puts into perspective how, how much of a tightrope society is walking
0: on, (laughs) you know? But yeah, I mean, just looking at it from that perspective. And then when you see that in scene where Rudger Hauer saves Harrison Ford's life when he could have easily killed him by letting him fall off that building or pushing him off that building and he saves his life. And that last little deed he does is just, feel what life is hey I saved a Mm -hmm. life so that makes me more human than you probably you know what I mean (laughs) right
1: exactly I
2: don't know why he saved my life maybe in those last moments he loved life more than he ever had before not just his life
1: anybody's life a lot of these themes you're talking about Right. Go into this next movie that oh, yeah. we're going to mention. A lot of, you know, because it's steeped in it. And that's uh, 2014's Ex Machina. Yeah. Do you know what the Turing test is? It's when a human interacts with a computer. And if the human doesn't know they're interacting with a computer, the test is passed. And what does the past tell us? That the computer has artificial intelligence. Are you building an AI? I've already built one. And over the next few days, you're going to be the human component in the Turing test. Holy shit.
0: Yeah, that's
2: right,
1: Caleb. You got it.
0: What I said as a kid, what I loved about future movies is seeing flying cars and seeing Mm -hmm. big extravagant buildings and huge technological advances in, like, rocket ships and planets Mm -hmm. and all of (laughs) this. When you get to the age that we are now, and you've seen that done a gazillion times, and sometimes more than likely poorly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you start to be like, okay, well, maybe that's not so as fascinating. So when you get to something like Ex Machina, and what he does is this—he doesn't tell you where this is in the future. It's somewhere in the yeah. near future, but you right. know who knows right. when. Right. But you don't see flying cars. Everything looks a door looks like a door, and a kitchen yeah. looks like a kitchen, <laughs> you <laughs> right. know. And I, that's what I, I, one of Things I really love about this film, and I think it's what grounds it to when the spectacular things start happening. To me, right. when I saw the tech of the film, it was it was kind of like, oh wow, this is cool. It makes yeah. it it makes the smaller things be cooler. Yeah,
1: and and so we're it's again we're dealing with AI, and mm-hmm. uh, again we're dealing with one of these. Um, influential techno moguls like uh like again like an elon musk Mm -hmm. you you know i don't think elon musk is one coming up with any of the technology he's right kind of riding off the ideas of other people who are coming up he just has the money he just has the money but anyway uh yeah like a steve jobs or a uh whatever this uh, oscar isaac is playing this kind of like uh eccentric well I, i don't think he started off eccentric i think he started off my perception is, is he started off very much like the guy he brings in, but maybe a more advanced prodigy version of that, right. you know? And then and he kind of, ev- of course, evolves. When you're a, the best at what, everything in the world, and you're better than, you you believe that. Oh, yeah. And the movie plays into that quite a bit, you know? The, some of the words he, he chooses to grab onto right. about that this guest is saying about him, you know? You're good with words, Caleb. You're quotable. Actually, that's someone else's quote. You know, I wrote down that other line you came up with. The one about how if I've invented a machine with consciousness, I'm not a man, I'm God. I don't think this exactly... I just that. thought, fuck, man, that is so good when we get to tell the story, you know? I turned to Caleb, and he looked up at me, and he said, you're not a man, you're a God. Yeah, but I, I didn't say that. What I thought was kind of cool is when Caleb, because he is a coder and he's obviously awkward, mm-hmm. he's probably not very familiar with uh, the opposite sex too much. Right. You know, he's definitely a computer geek. Right. And there's almost, you know, like an almost an autistic quality to him in the way where whenever he feels like he's not so enamored with Oscar Isaac's character, that he's not going to call him out on his bullshit. Right. Even though a lot of times Oscar Isaac's like just ignoring him and writing him off. Right. I thought that was that was kind of cool the way he did. And it plays into the story. Yeah. Of the subterfuge, as we shall say, that comes at as it goes along. But, um, right. Because basically all of this stuff is really cool
0: character stuff that you're building this world that we're telling this story in. And
1: basically the story is the birth of a realistic android. And AI with it. Right. I think it's interesting too that uh, Nathan's developing AI, but there's something about his personality that's like, I'm going to only even, I'm not going to experiment with AI in a box I'm going to only put it in really sexy android women ladies, which is kind of saying something about his power play, too. That megalomania that I was talking about, that a lot of these oligarch-type tech leaders are kind of, in a way, like a Mark Zuckerberg kind of guy. Right, right, yeah. It's creepy, you know, because he's obviously taking advantage of them. No,
0: what one of the things that I think is really genius that the the filmmaker does, and probably for an economic reason too, is that he isolates the character. So they're out mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You know, this guy has all of this land. Nathan, who Oscar Isaac plays, is out in the middle of nowhere. So it does give it that creepy feeling too because you're out in the middle of nowhere and there's certain rooms you can't get into because you need this passcode. And what's going on? Am I being watched all the time? And yeah. it, it's like... Nathan is messing around with Caleb even Oh, sometimes. sure, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I don't know if you ever fully know what's going on with the power outages and all that stuff. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, it, it seems like it's something to his doing. Right.
0: But you know, you have Ava saying she's doing it. And...
1: But did he tell her to say to do that? And mm-hmm. you know, and then she's going along. Cause it seems to me, I mean, if we're going to blow it, she's in on the whole thing. All along. she knows her plan way ahead of everybody else. Oh, For sure. Everybody's trying to stay one step ahead of each other.
0: You know, you have Caleb who is trying to stay ahead of Nathan. Mm hmm. And feels that he has Ava on his side. Yeah. And Nathan, I think, his undoing is that he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. In, yeah, it's room.
1: hubris. <laughs> the hubris thing. Right. And that's right. typical of the of megalomaniac. It was beauty <laughs> who, killed who killed the beast. The beast, yeah. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? <laughs> like, quite literally, with a knife. <laughs> yeah. That, and that even is, like, jarring yeah. the way it happened. Right. You're just like, oof. Kyoko stabs him yeah. first. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean. It comes out of nowhere. He turns around, does her in, yeah. and then the other one comes, and you're just like, "Oh, Jesus, this is this is awful." Yeah. You know?
1: What's cool about this actress? This is the sweetest actress whose name I can't remember, who's playing Ava. Uh, right. She's doing this weird, kind of curious but almost half frightened kind of thing through the whole thing. Yeah. This whole, but really all she's doing is just observing. Right. They give her this look of like. Being fearful, I think, as as again as a, as a trick, you know, to kind of you know make you seem like she's innocent, but she's not.
0: Like you said, I think she's playing her cards from the get go. First scene we see her, yeah. and she already knows what the plan is going to be right. and what she has to do to implement this thing, because she's very smart. Right. You're
2: wrong.
0: Wrong about what?
2: Nathan. In what way? He isn't your friend. Excuse me? I'm sorry, If I don't understand. You shouldn't trust him. You shouldn't trust anything he says.
1: So what is your history with this film? Uh, I think, I feel like I saw it a few years after it came out. Okay. For some reason that wasn't, I was just kind of like, eh, I don't know, I've been through this before. Right. But then, you know, a lot of people said how great it was and all that stuff. And I remember watching it and thinking, oh, yeah, this is pretty messed up. And then, uh, uh, you know, I watched it again last night. So I did three movies last night. Woo! I'm a stud. Right. Uh, Metropolis, uh, Westworld, and... uh, Ex Machina uh-huh. So yeah I wanted to ha- I, That one I Because I had only seen it once before And it was a few years ago I wanted to be able to uh, Kind of freshen my Perspective on it And I'm glad I did Because of The mind games That's going on It's kind of hard to remember That shit after a few yeah, years Yeah and, and, For and, sure I mean, I remember that they existed, but I didn't, you know, you you get a better feel for it freshly watching how layered it is, you know. Yeah,
0: I I was working in the theater industry at the time I saw this, and so I had already had uh, some good experiences with A24. Mm -hmm. So the minute I saw it on our roster that we were getting it, I was just like, I'm seeing that. I don't even need to know who's in it. Right. It's A24, I'm going to watch it. Right. They were nice enough to show me Scarlett Johansson boobs, so <laughs> I'm going to do right, it. Right, right, right. And so uh, I watched this one, and I, already by this time I was on the Oscar Isaac kind of yeah. bandwagon, because right. I thought, this guy's
1: got something. He's, there's something about him, yeah. He,
0: there's a charisma to this
1: guy. Like when he sh- he shows up in Drive, and, right. uh he's in not in it for too long, but there, there's something going on there, yeah. Yep. I felt yeah. the same way. Yeah, and I was super stoked to see him in the Star Wars sequel trilogy, even though that didn't play out very well. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. I think he
0: feels the same way.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: But um, going in, I read a synopsis, but even doing that doesn't really prepare you for what you're going to see in this movie and the turns that that do happen in it. And just the weird things of even I love how Caleb is um, kind of second-guessing Am I an AI?
1: Yeah, oh, I know, right. <laughs> I love that. Which is that's genius. Yeah, because yeah. you know, he knows enough to know yep. that wait, I could have been replaced at a certain point, you know. <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> I'm a replicant. Exactly. Right. Yeah, and yeah, that that's pretty wild too. I think it's very interesting that they chose to make Nathan Struggling a bit with uh, getting too drunk too, right? Because then right. you don't know you're you're adding in this element, and uh, you're like, okay, is he doing this on purpose? Is this a setup? Or is he really getting? He must be because right. Caleb helped get him drunk, you know, and helped set up the plan, you know. Yeah. So I, but I think that's a cool character thing, you know, especially if you're going to be isolated, alone, and weird. And it's, that's
0: what I mean. It's a big character piece set in a futuristic setting, mm-hmm. but manageable on a, on a lean budget, right. but still showing really cool things and exploring an interesting topic yeah. and, and the evolution, the birth of the evolution of AI and, right. and droid and all of this stuff. And so when her plan comes to fruition and Ava is walking out the door and leaving them behind, mm-hmm. is there danger, more danger coming from Ava, do you think, or is she just going to try to blend?
1: No, I think there's danger coming. I think, look at who her father is and what he did to her and what he did to her so-called sisters. Right. And and it's very much on the same level as in Westworld in season three when Evan Rachel Wood's character gets out and starts to basically set up her whole plan for all right, we're going to be done with people. Right. We're taking over kind of thing. And I right. feel like that's what she's all about. And, and and I think she's already got the plan in her head. That's the scary part about it. That's what feels intimidating about the situation of AI, I think. Right. How, how fastly will it go out of control for us when it does? Right. Exactly. And the, the, the big theory with it is that it is the natural part of evolution, that we are only here to... Set up the stage for AI to exist and take over, you know.
0: Right, exactly. Which brings us to our next one. Dun, 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 dun.
2: Listen and understand that Terminator is out there. It can't be bargained with, it can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear, and it absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead
0: 1984 some small potatoes young man named james cameron who's a truck driver before he gets into the movie business thinks he can show us a
1: thing or two fuck you asshole I think it's taken from a Twilight Zone episode, isn't it? Outer Limits. Okay. I, yeah, the episode is kind of an, it's not a fully original idea. It's taken from an Outer Limits episode. Right. As far as movie going goes, it's a pretty new idea, right? The idea right. is AI does its thing, right? Well, most, it turns out, it seems maybe this is you and I subconsciously being freaked out by AI, because <laughs> right. the, 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 the <laughs> it seems like... This is John Connor. If you're listening to this, you are the Resistance. Skynet, Cyberdyne systems, all that stuff. Right. It's a uh, military uh, computer system that goes... um,
2: Bananas! (laughs) There we go! (laughs) Bananas!
1: Yeah, it goes self-aware, and it basically says, All right... Time to kick the world's ass. Uh, I hate these people. Let's see if I'm okay to run on my own without these pesky
0: humans around. Oh, I <laughs> right. am okay.
1: Uh, yeah. Right. And, and the story goes, you know, they talk about it in Terminator 2, that as the T-800 explains to Sarah Connor right that the uh, it launches its missiles against Russia even though we are at peace with Russia the cold war is over in this time period the systems are still set up to retaliate and mm-hmm. and then that sets off the the war and the, the computers and shit take over the world and uh, the humans are relegated to a small army of resistance fighters right right Christian Bale. And yeah. <laughs> 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 He's screaming and yelling at that poor produ- PA. like this <laughs> in the background.
0: What the fuck is <laughs> it with you? But so so, so this future is set in 2029. Yeah. And uh, the movie was 84. So the movie was
1: 84. So you, yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't mind that so much. Yeah. It's a time travel movie. They're coming yeah. back in time to basically. 1984. Tr- right. The. 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 the um, Skynet figures out that the leader of the resistance they can't kill him in their time so what if they go back in time and kill his mother Right. and the human resistance catches wind of the plan and right. sends back one of their freedom fighters which ends up being the father of uh, John Connor but right, pretty cool so
0: yeah it's one of those things that uh, you know the Skynet figures out time travel just for this yeah. reason which is
1: funny
0: yeah I wonder, I wonder if they figured it out as fast as Robert Downey Jr. in Endgame, but I
1: digress.
0: <laughs> what is your history with Terminator?
1: I remember in, I think it was 1985, going out from New York to Tucson to visit my aunt and uncle and all my cousins for the very first time. Mm-hmm. And that was the trip that ended up making us want to move out there. Um, okay. That was actually in 19, yeah, 1984 because we moved in 1985. So the movie would have been brand new. How old would you think you were? 12. I was 12 years old. And uh, they had they had rented it. Okay. I remember watching it at their house and uh, being like, whoa. <laughs> <You know>. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I knew of Arnold Schwarzenegger from Conan, but I had never seen Conan. Oh, okay. And just how cool it was. The whole thing was just so freaking cool. Right. The concept I thought was um, like eerie and spooky, and because mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like that was obviously what we're about to say is this movie is the blueprint for the Matrix in 1999. It's the same yeah. basic story uh, at its core.
0: Well, my history with the film is that uh, I was a big as a as a young lad. I got to see on um, on cable. The Conan movie, so I knew I was a big Arnold Schwarzenegger guy. I even was a fan at the time he had done this weird movie that was kind of like a,
1: yeah, the Western thing, Wiley
0: Coyote, Roadrunner movie called the Vi- the villain with uh, with Kurt Douglas. Yeah, so I was a fan of both of those, and so when this movie hits HBO. I Mm -hmm. remember I was just like, oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's in this. I love, you know. I was kind of scared. Especially the scene where they show him when he goes to one of the first Sarah Connors, who's not the real Sarah Connor, and just asks her name Sarah Connor. Yes.
1: Yeah. And then pushes open the door. When the door opens, too, her little uh, security chain lock busts off the thing. Yeah. There's something about that that I felt was very impactful.
0: And I remember as a kid feeling like, ugh, I don't like this. This <laughs> yeah. is right. scary." scary. <laughs> right, and especially after knowing him as the good guy. Right. So seeing him just waste people left and right. The, even the guy who gets that gun that kills her, he just turns the gun on the guy, loads the bu- up with bullets, and shoots the guy. You know. So.
1: Yeah, at the gun shop, that's a famous scene where he starts now n- naming off all the weapons he wants. Yeah. Right. The forty-five long slide with laser sighting. Hey, you can't load that in here. <laughs> <laughs> All of the scenes
0: in the movie, I is probably what kept me coming back to it was the future stuff at first because yeah. of all that future stuff, you know, the flying machines and, mm-hmm. the, and the laser guns going off and all of that yeah, stuff. Right. And so I was just like, hell yeah, I, I'm I'm digging all of this stuff. But I re- do remember that, and then especially by the time you get to the end and you see what's under Arnold, yeah, and that skeleton, right. You know, that ectoskeleton that that is him. Like I, that really was like
1: probably a little bit of nightmare fodder for me (laughs) for a while i am sure the term existed before but that was my introduction to the word cyborg which okay cyborg is a a machine that has living breathing blood and flesh on top of it right and i never heard or thought of that concept before right. that. Yeah, and I thought, oh, that's fucking cool. And you know
0: why? Because what? we hadn't seen Metropolis by this time.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not the same.
0: <laughs> but no, I'm just saying the general yeah. idea no, I know, of putting I know. skin over. Yeah, right. uh, yeah that really freaking me out about it and everything like that. And then, of course, like, like you were saying, this is a movie where, at the core, it's AI being pissed off at humans, mm-hmm. wants us dead, Mm -hmm. or whatever is left of us we have to be slaves to them or whatever but mostly just wants us dead and that definitely breeds life into what will go on to become the matrix
2: do you know what i'm talking about the matrix do you want to know
1: what it is right uh, cuz that's obviously it's the exact same blueprint the same starting point obviously right. nature goes off in its own weird philosophical messiah journeys, but right. uh, at the very core, it's the exact same thing. You know, the the, yeah. the machines go sentient and then they darken out the sky. They use humans as batteries, yeah, Right. slightly different, but, but the same original context, you know, the same right. core story. Of course, when you're, you know, I see the matrix in 99, I'm a much older person. I'm in my late twenties, so I'm, I'm not s- scared by it, but it also does pose that idea that I never thought of before. What if we are living in the simulation right now and we don't know it? And then we talk about that in popular culture on a regular basis. Before 1999, I don't really think we were talking about that.
0: No. 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 Yeah, no, so you saw it in the theaters probably. The Matrix, yes. Yeah. Yes. So you saw The Matrix and I saw it opening week weekend just because mm-hmm. it was one of those things that it was uh, action yeah and i was really into action movies at the time so i wanted to go see that and the kung fu
1: explosion of that time too
0: yeah yeah for sure and so all of those things and i i freaking loved the movie i was in love with that
1: movie me and my kung fu friends used to spend hours just talking about not just the martial arts but the the philosophy behind it and and you know the whole living in a simulation thing and right the, uh, how you don't know what's in front of you is real and, and, and all you know all, all kinds of stuff. You know. Yeah,
0: so seeing that movie and and getting to see the glimpses of what the future really looks like outside of the Matrix being right. inside the Matrix and stuff and seeing how that world's set up and, and everything. And you never really get to see what the main temple thing of the Matrix looks like until the third film. And right. I know that those sequels aren't looked back on very fondly, but right. I really like the whole trilogy as a whole and actually getting, when you get to that last movie and seeing that temple thing and everything and the outside world and seeing what it looks like and stuff, that is to me, that will that left an impression on me of
1: like, wow, this this is like yeah. grim. When he faces off with the the consciousness yep. and it, all those little tiny machines yep. come together to make that kind of uh, metallic version of the face, I thought that was the coolest fucking thing I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. I love. And it. that voice, that very booming, deep robotic voice of what is it yeah. you want, you know? Right. I thought that was fucking rad. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: And so so those movies really made an impact on me, even at the age that I was in, in 99 and 2002 and 2003 when the sequel mm-hmm. came out and everything, that has stayed with me as far as imagery goes of future stuff. Yeah. And not just that, but also the future future-y tech of are we in the simulation thing. Right. Like you said, that all is constantly coming up. If you scroll through TikTok even, you're going to see, this proves that we are in a simulation. Yeah, it shows right. you some weird right. video or whatever. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, and so uh, the future for um, The Terminator was nineteen or 20, 2000- two, uh, 2029. 2029, okay. And the, and the movie was based in 84, right? They go back right. to 1984. And then The Matrix was right around 80 98 99 uh, as far as like when it's supposed to take place but you're that's the matrix part yeah right and the actual real world was what year 2199 yeah so way the fuck ahead and then there was way. that whole thing too where i don't think they find that out until later putting both of these
0: movies together terminator and matrix i think was a yeah. good idea on your part because of the the birthing idea from terminator 2 matrix and the link between that that yeah. idea right. and everything and so uh, both very, vi- especially you know, by the time you get to Terminator Two, which is the end of the sequels for me. Right. right. <laughs> but uh, uh, seeing where Cameron takes that future and seeing more of that
1: future and what's right.
0: going on, and actually seeing a nuclear uh, b- the, bomb right. go off yeah, and seeing, it's pretty uh,
1: hardcore. And her her body disintegrate in the right. In the, uh, yeah. Right. Uh, also, too, you see the unskinned. Uh, T-800s and T-600s and all that right. stuff. Walking around with the guns and stepping on the human skulls and all that right. shit. That shit's dope. That is yeah. so cool. It's awesome. You were so enamored with, with the kind of science fictionness of that uh, skeleton in the original movie. You want to see more of it. You know?
0: Right. Yeah, no, it became this iconic imagery. Right. That right. is forever linked to those movies and everything, right. and so no matter how bad the, as those sequels went on, when they showed that thing, it was kind of hard, and I go, ooh,
1: that yeah, thing I know, cool. with the, the the red eyes and all that, yeah. and the and the normal like actual porcelain teeth, you right. know, with a metallic skull, so yeah, right, it's, it's a really cool image, and, uh, yeah. Well, you did say in the opening we were going to have some nitpicks, and this is my one nitpick about it. We talked yeah. about this rec very recently, but yeah. In the original Terminator movie, when mm. Reese is um, reflecting back on his time in the future when he has the picture of Sarah and all that mm-hmm. stuff, and he's in that uh, underground resistance base, they show what is technically a T-800 infiltrate them right. and f- break off the uh, the, clo- the cloak it's hiding under and start shooting everybody. Right. It doesn't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right, right. <laughs> and And that's... To me is a smart idea t800 should not all be arnold schwarzeneggers because the whole point of a cyborg is to blend into society undetected until they want you to to know you you know i'm the bad guy right so if they all looked exactly like the same guy, after they met the first one or two Arnold Schwarzeneggers, they go, "Oh well, there goes that Arnold Schwarzenegger, Austri- Austrian <laughs> right. guy. We better, we better not trust him, right?" Right. What the What the sequel does is betrays that a little bit by right. bringing back because. For good reason, and and yeah. you br- you bring up a good counter to this. I mean, it 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 propels the story forward. One, it kind of creates that threat. Sarah Connor doesn't know she's waiting for something familiar from her past to come back. Right. Right. And two, you want Arnold Schwarzenegger back in that movie as a movie watcher. So you have to kind of suspend the architecture of the story to be able to progress it in this way. And the the thing I was saying about this, too, is obviously if you're going to have a sequel to Terminator, you want Arnold Schwarzenegger in that movie as a viewer, right? You want him in it.
0: Yeah, and Cameron's smart. He knows if I'm going to spend $100 million on this and someone's going to give me that money, then I've got
1: to have a big name. Who's big right now? Well, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was in my other one. He was in my... Yeah, I basically broke him, and I want him to be... But at the same time, if you want to be smart within the world of the the universe created in the movie of course this this the skynet computer is smart enough to know not to make every one of these these models exactly the same they're going to have different heights and different whatever i'll say the the one giveaway is when they do show that t800 uh reveal himself in the uh uh human resistance base he is a big buff motherfucker. He's another (laughs) bodybuilder-like. And it's like, so then I guess what you are creating in the world of Terminator 1 is we probably shouldn't trust bodybuilder guys in the year (laughs) (laughs) 2029 because they all seem to be uh, cybernetic, uh, uh, Cyberdyne spies. Right. Right. Yeah. Which
0: which makes makes it clear that uh, Skynet maybe learned from that, and that's why they made the
1: Chameleon-like T-1000. T-1000, right. Right. Yeah. right. And, and, and the story has changed right. by that point. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But like I say, my nitpick, as I've already told you, is the laser guns. I they would have right. not done that because the laser guns, when you watch that in the future war of the first one, he has to use it again by the time he gets the T2 because he already set that up. Right. So they're using these lasers and the sound effect just sounds like something out of an 80s video game Right. It's one of those things that if if I could go back and George Lucas
1: it, I would take that out. Kind of do like he did with Aliens. And have the hardcore, evolved, right. bullet machine guns. Right.
0: Yeah. I think even by the time you get to that Christian Bale one, that director's just like, I'm not using lasers. That's stupid. <laughs> yeah. Mick, <laughs> Mick G? Is that, right. is yeah. that Mick G? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah.
1: Uh, hasta la
0: vista, baby. Moving into uh, not really an AI one now. Okay. We're going to one of my favorite trilogies of all time, and that's Back to the Future Two, because right, right. we get to see 2015 in all of its glory. Yeah.
2: We're descending toward Hill Valley, California, at 4:29 p.m. on Wednesday, October 21st, 2015. 2015. Maybe we're in the future.
0: I tell you one thing. This guy in 1989 sitting in the theater and watching Back to the Future 2 and seeing that future thing, I was just like, well, this is like the most pinnacle thing ever I could be
1: watching. <laughs> it was this great. Is the, this is exactly what the future is going to be. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I know, right. They do a lot of stuff in this one. This one predicts right. a lot of stuff. Right. The shark still looks fake.
0: So, yeah, like like we said, as in... in this is set in 2015. I saw this in 1989, first week in the theaters. Absolutely mm-hmm. loved it and yeah. thought it was just fantastic. This is the, you know, 89 is the uh, big year for me because I got Batman coming out in June. Yeah. And then I got right. Back to the Future coming out in August.
1: I, I think I probably saw it in the theater, too. I can't remember for sure, but okay. uh, um, there was a lot going on. In 89, I'm in uh, high school at that point, so right. okay. it's hard to say how devoted I was a moviegoer you know
0: it's August so I'm still 10 yeah until August or September so but you know uh, you know right up front the first thing you're going to see once you get to the 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 future here is that everyone's driving a flying car
1: yeah yeah right (laughs) and they even have those little like convert your car to the commercials for it you know which is what he does with the DeLorean for the DeLorean DeLorean right yeah right
0: Uh, And that's just my little nitpicky thing now with the whole flying cars thing is that everyone's driving a flying car and that would just not work out well. (laughs) No, we'd
1: be crashing. It's like everybody having an airplane.
0: Right. Or a
1: helicopter. We'd be, (laughs) there'd be a lot of.
0: Anyway though, so as we were saying, things that the film gets right, and this isn't a whole list, this is just some that I kind of picked out of a list. Yeah. But you got one which I thought, I never really even thought about it until I saw this list, but I'm like, oh, yeah. So yeah. this movie is in 89, being filmed in 80s, and it has a store completely de- dedicated to nostalgia for right. 80s things. Right. That's impressive. Yeah. That one right there. Well, is I'll
1: tell you, I think I know where they get that from because in the original movie, they go back to the 50s. Right, and we've had all these kind of '50s diners and all that shit by then. Oh, even right. before before Back to the Future even came out, you know, Rockabilly right. came back in the '70s. Right. You know, American Graffiti and all that shit. Uh, yeah. So happy I think days. That what they what they were, were basically Happy Days, right? All right. What they're basically saying, well, well, since we went back to a time period that's often seen as a nostalgic and cool time to be. What if the 80s are that, too? And right. it turns out that, they were right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: that's smart. I never even thought what you were just saying. But, yeah, that, I mean, yeah, they guessed right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, then you got uh, endless cable channels. Right,
1: <laughs> yeah, right. <Which laughs> on a big screen TV. On a big flat screen TV. They yeah. show a flat screen TV. And, and Right. Okay, I want channels 18,
0: 24, 63, 87, and weather channel. You got the biometrics, face, and eye
1: recognition. Right. Yeah, which we have on our phones, with, right? Yeah, right,
0: uh-huh. and yeah, like all over the place. Yep. And then you got the eyewear for TV, video, uh, phone
1: calls, right. uh, games, everything. Right. Right. Yeah. Some people would say the hoverboard thing because there is a hoverboard that right. kind of works, but it's not really like it can't right. go anywhere with it, you know? Right. And 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 my thought too is like when the guy designed this. Uh, hoverboard. I think Lexus was a big sponsor behind the, the hoverboard technology. I remember. You mean the one that we have now with the wheels? The, yeah, the, the one yeah. that we have with the with the floating copper base thing and all that. I, anyway, um, I those people basically said, what, "Let's." take the thing from back to the future and try to make it real you know what right. i mean so the movie spawned the technology you know right kind of like not it, and it, it's not practical and it can't be used anywhere right. else. so that's kind of a half-assed one i don't, I don't if there's anybody out there uh, <laughs> saying well what about the hoverboard there's a hoverboard i, I kinda right. kinda yeah it's not like you can hitch onto the back of the jeep and go everywhere right. with that hoverboard that we have today
0: one of the stories, and I remember this when it, after the movie had come out, is they had a little making-of special that came on ABC, and mm-hmm. it was hosted by Leslie Nielsen. Oh, wow. And they were doing interviews with everyone on set while they were making the movie, and they knew, they already knew by that time that the hoverboard was going to break big in the film. It was going to be one of those big things in the yeah. film. And Robert Zemeckis, being kind of a cheeky fellow, yeah. he was just like, well, he's like... The hoverboard is a board that hovers on magnetic energy, and it works just like a skateboard, except it doesn't have any wheels, and you don't have to have any pavement to hover on. And they've been around for years. It's just that parents groups have not let the toy manufacturers make them, and we got our hands on some. And we put him in the movie. And so he said that as I'm being cheeky. And when that special came out, apparently it created this huge uproar of people going to toy stores and saying, we demand hoverboards.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. That's yeah. So we may be dumb now as a society, but we were (laughs) starting to get dumb in the eighties. You know what I mean? The public school systems are going downhill I say never count us down when it comes to dumb. Being uh-huh. stupid, yeah. Humans yeah. are just not as smart as we think we are. <laughs>
0: now, why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? But this one is, I mean, we don't have to stick on it for too long, but this one is just...
1: It's a great movie, though, and, uh, you know, a, a lot of times... In, so if we want to talk about Hollywood lore and all that stuff, uh, when, right. we're, when we're talking about Hollywood writing... Right. The original script is often... Touted as the perfect script, right. you know. So that's yeah, it's up there with keep. Jaws and, yeah, and right. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah,
0: and and I I am one of those people that agree with that. I yeah, absolutely right, right. love this trilogy. But anyway,
2: it means your future hasn't been written yet. No one's
1: has. Your future is whatever you make it. So make it a good one, both of you. We will, Doc. Stand up. Let's go on to our next future, and this one's more depressing. (laughs) So, yeah, we're finally getting into a different kind of future here, one that we haven't really tapped into. I mean, The Matrix and Terminator are kind of like that, but they don't spend time in it, you know? Right. Right. And that's uh, Mad Max, uh, The Road Warrior, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Waterworld, too, because it's kind of... Right. In the same idea, and that's the apocalyptic future. Right. You know, we've we've done ourselves in. Uh, you know, at least with the Terminator and, and all that stuff, it's the AI who does us in. This is right. us doing ourselves in. Ourselves in. <laughs> yeah, and uh, which is probably the more logical path. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> and uh, AI probably smart enough to know. I just have to sit back and watch these
1: idiots kill themselves. Right. Right.
0: Well, ain't we a pair, raggedy man?
1: <laughs> so we'll say Mad Max from 1979 is kind of in a very nearby future to 1979, right? Right. It's 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 barely in the future. The uh the director
0: George Miller, he actually looks at it as it's the in the, nothing apocalyptic as far as as like a nuclear weapon or something like that has gone off yet. That right. doesn't happen right. until we get to Mad Max 2.
1: Right. 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 So, I guess what we'll talk about is is, is Mad Max 2, it actually, it had already happened. You know, but right. be, between the events of uh, 1979's Mad Max, when he loses his family and right. uh, goes off on a road, r- raging rampage and becomes mad, as the title says, in right. Mad Max 2, the, the nuclear war has already happened and desolated humanity, and uh, right. kind of turned us into this... Um, Lord of the Flies scenario where everybody's after the one resource, which is fuel. Gasoline, right? Right. Gone
2: now. Swept away. For reasons long forgotten, two mighty warrior tribes went to war and touched off a blaze which engulfed them all. Without fuel, they were nothing. They'd built a house of straw. A thundering machine sputtered and stopped.
1: And in Waterworld, it's pretty much the same thing the future the polar ice caps have melted covering the earth with water those who survived have adapted to a new world According to how the movie starts, right? There's no there's no dry land left. No dry land. Right. So dry land is just a dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So Derek has a, a a nostalgia and an appreciation for Waterworld.
0: I do. I ha- so I saw this in '95 when it opened. Uh-huh. It was already by that time it word had gotten out that it was a huge budget, went over budget for all of these different reasons. I went and I saw it and I loved it because one it's Mad Max like yeah and you gotta you gotta see when I came into Mad Max I didn't come into Mad Max one mm-hmm. I didn't come into Mad Max two okay. I came into Mad Max beyond Thunderdome right and right. that is just as goofy as waterworld yeah yeah well <laughs> yeah. a lot
1: of people don't like it yeah
0: right yeah and that's and so that being my first Mad Max film yeah. set up how I saw this kind of world so when someone described Waterworld as Mad Max on the water yeah by the time you see what happens in Waterworld and all of these outlandish things that's right in my ballpark because my nostalgia for this kind of film comes from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome the other ones came in later and I appreciate those more but Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, it's a goofy fucking movie and it's it's kind of it's all over the place in tone and Mm -hmm. Waterworld is the exact same way, it's goofy and all over the place in tone and the other thing that I still respect it for these days watching it is that This was a watermark, no pun intended, in 95 (laughs) because I don't think no other movie after this was gonna film like they did. They went out on the water. They filmed
1: all practical. Yeah,
0: yeah. everything's all practical. I mean, they use CG here and there, but yeah. they built the sets on the water. They're they're really selling the, these giant boats that they made for this thing. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a really pretty movie to look at too, and see how things are shot and everything. So I just have a respect for it on that, and it just because of you know, it's one of those movies that I like. I say I love it. I'm not touting it as a. Brilliant movie or a genius mm-hmm. movie, but I love it and I have nostalgia love for it because it is set in the future, mm-hmm. and this one sets itself at twenty five hundred. Yeah, way up and, and it deals with these weird things like mutations of people, mm-hmm. and dirt is uh, uh, how they they can sell things, and it's mm-hmm. so you know the plant. It's I it's just, a
1: currency. Yeah,
0: right. It's currency, and so you know it's it's one of those things that fits right into the wheelhouse of like when you get to Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, and he you know. He doesn't have that car anymore. That's mm-hmm. in those first two movies, yeah. and he's he's the loner guy that shows up in this place. And he's battling in this dome for some reason. There's this little, yeah, you know, little person on the shoulder yeah. of this. But you don't really get why a lot of things are happening and all the goofy things. <laughs> you you go in and you you watch. Uh, any of these films and you start nitpicking them, you're, you're going to find a lot to nitpick, so...
1: Oh, there's a lot to nitpick on Waterworld. <laughs> yeah. I watched it, uh, last week, I think, or was it a few days ago?
0: Yeah, a few days ago.
1: <laughs> a few days ago I watched it and, yeah, I... I... It was a little bit of a slog. I think, uh... The acting is way over the top, and everybody's trying too hard. But and and but you know, I do agree with you on on the visual effort and and the scope of the effort put into it. Right, right, right. I think it's con- considered a flop. You know, kind of like the Postman was. And uh, well, know, the Postman was definitely a flop. It didn't make <laughs> any money back. Right, <laughs> right. So the Apocalyptic Future, we've done ourselves in, and we're scavenging, right? And it's kind of like what anarchy would really look like if it. if if we gave it a shot (laughs) let's give anarchy a go this is this is what anarchy looks like Uh, right right roving gangs trying to uh, take power over others and I want what you want and let's you know that's it's kind of a a scary idea and um, right you know if we want to talk about other apocalyptic things that are similar to this The Walking Dead would be similar you know where Right. It's more about the the breakdown of humanity than anything. Oh yeah, and I believe For sure. both Mad Max and Waterworld, or I should say, The Road Warrior and Waterworld, are are kind of talking about this uh, yeah. this concept. You know, and uh, you
0: know you have these future movies that are set you know, post apocalyptic and stuff like that. You can see so many different takes on, on how different creative people look at it. So you have James Cameron looking at his version like that and the Matrix mm-hmm. looking at their version and then, mm-hmm. you know, all of these different
1: things. You and, go to uh, Cuba and you see it in real life. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. they're trying to keep those cars from the fifties alive That's <laughs> right. eighty years later and uh, <laughs> Cuba is a real life water world or <laughs> Road Warrior World. Mad Max, yeah. Yeah. And so, Just look uh, at Vin Diesel and The Fast and Furious when he goes and races in Cuba. Oh, really? Ugh. Okay, then. Well, anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to put the brakes on the episode. <laughs> um,
0: so, no. So, what I'm saying is, you, so you see those, those versions of, you know, the apocalyptic future and stuff like that, but I think one that really stayed in the public's mind was what George Miller did with with the road warrior
1: you know yeah yeah because it's kind of the first one to really yeah do that there was there's a there's another one damnation alley okay george Pappard. damnation alley everything man remembers is gone
2: everything he has achieved is forgotten every place he has lived has become a wasteland desolate barren and these five survivors may be the only humans left alive together they will attempt a
1: journey into the unknown that's a 70s movie they're in this future car they're in this dystopian kind of future It's kind of like that okay but the road warrior does it in a way that kind of like everybody starts copying as almost immediately right almost immediately right 77 that's when damnation valley yeah yeah and so that's similar to that it's it's kind of that whole thing you know but they have future tech available to them right and this is where it's like completely and and they're like i said they're exploring the devolving of society and uh, uh all that back to this kind of barbaric way of living right
0: Right, and so, uh, yeah, it's seeing it in that uh, t- uh, view that George Miller puts on it and everything really kicks it up a notch as far as action goes in uh, Road Warrior from the first Mad Max and everything, mm-hmm. seeing these lavish stunts and all of these vehicles, and mm-hmm. you think, how did no one die on this thing? Yeah, as get a tetanus There's tetanus shots everywhere right right and being immersed in this uh futuristic setting of 1990 oh wow yeah seeing all of this stuff that he's doing with uh with, you know not a huge budget bigger of course because mad max was a bit but to really set up this world that he does and he did that because he goes on to have you know thunderdome which comes out and it's not as big of a hit when that comes out kind of looked at as kind of a bomb yeah. and then so many years later in 2016 has Mad Max Fury Road come out and then right. that thing is a huge hit huge hit, hit right. huge, huge hit and uh, that one as we we're talking about with how Thunderdome is kind of on this weird thing of where it gets a little goofy. Yeah. That's still a little bit there in Fury Road. Yeah. There's some goofy stuff sure. that's going the, the on. The society
1: in it. that's built, well, the, 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 those uh, those guys who are painting themselves silver right. with the huffing of the paint. and Right. Yeah, I think, well, and they do do that with the children too in Beyond Thunderdome. Basically, they they have their own. Their dialect is starting to change oh, yeah. because they've been away from society for two. Or they've grown up in. A, in they've grown up in this world. They were born, right, and, and in this world and grown up in this world and and have no uh, like adults around. Yeah, there's all that. It's kind of an interesting take. And 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 I feel like what those uh, paint sniffing dudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can. It's kind of like the evolution of what those kids would grow up to be. you yeah. know, By the time no. they were teens and how weird and culty. Uh, the society is around that whatever what was his name, Gorgeous George or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right.
0: And so the main, the main villain by the time we get to Fury Road,
1: yeah, has this
0: apparatus on his face that's kind of permanently there, and the way he breathes and the way he talks, he's way over the top in his acting more than anything has been probably since Tina Turner, right, in, in Thunderdome and everything, and it's kind of like. George Miller is kind of embracing every aspect of all of three of the movies he's already made. Like, right. let's be a little goofy and let's go off the rails a bit and let's do some cool stunts and have some special effects and everything. And it uses utilizes a lot of different things. So it's it's neat to see in this world that he set up that had a very serious kind of sc- scope to the beginning of the, as they go on, mm-hmm. <laughs> get a little more off center, a little more goofy and stuff like yeah, that.
1: Yeah, well, because I think because you're getting far farther away from what we know as the society we know you know right they're going on and on and on and deeper into the future i don't know where fury road falls because max is young again so you know it's hard to say you know right because it's tom hardy takes mel gibson's place
0: so all of those things hit on the right level for me and also something that we've talked about probably endlessly on this this show before in other episodes is that it deals with kind of a man with no name type guy yeah Right. he's out there in the middle and a he's a loner he doesn't care what side he's on who cares if you die around him as long as he's got his dog his car or whatever you know that's it that calls to me in a movie I just love that you know, mm-hmm. and, you know Mariners like that and then even in um, uh, by the time you get to Mad Max Fury Road they set up the Furiosa Furiosa, yeah, Furiosa is kind of that kind of weird background. She's a, kind of a loner kind of yeah. thing, and going on, and she's getting her own little spin-off thing now yeah. and everything. So it's just interesting how that that archetype keeps falling in, and then when you put it in, well, no matter if it's Western now, it's
1: post-apocalyptic and it's future setting movie. Well, and obviously, the whole oil shortage is creating <laughs> war. That's uh, that's already happened, <laughs> right? You know, we can exactly all the Middle East stuff is happening because mm-hmm. of uh, Western. World's desire for oil and these uh, fundamentalists thinking we're ruining their world, blah 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 blah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. bunch of baggage there. (laughs) Right. And it's been going on for since the '70s, right?
0: Right. So yeah, that's what is put forth in these Mad Max movies as why. We are in post-apocalyptic times.
1: (laughs) Well, and a lot of people may not remember this because they weren't born yet or whatever. But uh, in the 70s, America specifically had a huge gas shortage where you had to wait in line for half a day to fill your car. And you wouldn't even necessarily be able to fill it all the way. It was the fuel gasoline was being rationed out and it was kind of a rough situation. And that's why we went into the Middle East to start getting our oil because uh, our reserves were running out and uh, I feel like what George Miller is doing he's basically reflecting on that Mm -hmm. situation that is only a few years old at that point you know what I mean right and uh, you know we are also very much Australia and America are are in this like kind of gas guzzling V8 culture and Australia still is you know they're they're still hanging on to that shit and um so that plays into the what kind of meathead comes out of this apocalypse is these right. kind of ragamuffin uh, uh, gearheads, you know, which is kind of right. it's cool <laughs> for me, especially. The thing I always thought, too, as a kid, and I'll put it forth as a question to
0: you, but I always thought like, uh, so Max is going somewhere. Yeah. But where is he going? And Mm -hmm. is there a non-desert-like land out there, if that's what he's searching for? Mm -hmm. Or is he just going because I'm a drifter and this is what I do now or kind of thing, you know? And I always wondered, I was just like, even watching the Road Warrior, I remember seeing the Road Warrior and probably even um, beyond Thunderdome and thinking like, you
1: know, what what else is out there? Is there civilization finally he's going to hit? I don't think he cares about that. I think for him, he's the tortured soul... Lost his family, and he just, he doesn't know what else to do with himself. Right. Except to drive, you know what right. I mean? And to be on that highway, and, and I don't think he's looking for anything. Right. I, I, th- I think he's just out there. Right. Because, you know, because when he does find stuff, he doesn't go with, you know, like they're going to at the end of of, uh, the road warrior. They give him the option to go with them. And he's like, I don't I don't want to I want to stay here in the disaster. I think he also part of it is the uh, the psychology behind he's he almost feels a little responsible for the death of his wife and baby. And maybe he feels like I don't deserve Right. to be uh, feeling comfortable or free. I want to stay out here in the mess of the shit. Right. Because it's my punishment for letting my family die. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. But I was, uh, you know, like I'm saying, as a kid, and I would always think, like, you know, I what, wonder what's what yeah. over that ridge right there, you Right, know? And, yeah, Is there be something, yeah. Right, because even by the time you get to um, Fury Road, even, you yeah. know when he when max is about to leave them on that motorcycle yeah they come to that cross point they like hey go back with us cuz we need to do this and max decides i'm going to go on and then it has to change the heart, of course and comes back and everything but he's like no i'm i'm moving i'm pushing forward and everything you got to right. wonder
1: well, where <laughs> where are you pushing forward to buddy right 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 yeah i think at that point it's lost the right. idea of it it's just and yeah. it maybe it's lost on him too you right. know by the time you know he's has those camels pulling that broken down car in Mad Max 3, you know, it, it's not even, a, the ga, gas is so scarce, they can't even get that thing running. Right. And like I said, I don't quite understand, there, there is a, there, if, you, if we want to get nitpicky again, just, just to say, when you get to Fury Road, the, he has the Australian Falcon cop car, the Interceptor, but it was blown up in Road Warrior, so. And it's destroyed in Fury Road. That's what I'm saying, twice. Yeah. Yeah. So where is that? I, there's there's, a, there's yeah. a little chronological thing.
0: I don't it's, know. That's yeah. what I mean. As those movies go on, things get a little more goofy. Right. Yeah. 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 I suggest we go back the same way we came. Through the canyon. Yeah, one of the things that I guess, just switching over to Waterworld real quick, is there was a cl- little little clickbait thing that happened, that I, I happened upon, and there was a thing with uh, Neil deGrasse uh, Tyson. Tyson, yeah. Yeah, the he was talking yeah. about, somehow Waterworld came up, and he was just like. And we've had
1: these ice caps that have remained, primarily in, in Antarctica and Greenland. Oh my gosh, if you melt those ice sheets in Greenland and Antarctica, the water levels will rise, and come to the level of the Statue of Liberty's elbow. So, we are talking sea level change, and where are all the greatest cities in the world? They're on the ocean's edge, on the river's edge. My point is, what's gonna happen first? Coastal cities will get flooded. You're not gonna just see water levels slowly rise. That will happen, but that's not what you're gonna notice first. The storm, the swell, that previously only brought the water to here, now breaches your city walls. It'll happen faster than you can move the city inland. You got to figure, you know, how much would be lost in England, and uh, because it's an island itself. Right. What do you think is worse, Mad Max or Waterworld? Um, I would say Waterworld. Do you get seasick? Yeah, no, I don't get seasick, but. The idea of, I'm not the kind of person that would want to be on a a boat for a long term. I mean, granted, (laughs) that guy, those people don't know any different. Right, right. But uh, I would rather take my chances with the... uh, uh, humongous (laughs) humongous <laughs> lord humongous <laughs> because I can at least because you know, I, I do like myself a, a nice throaty V8 you know <laughs> right and, yeah. and I can fix cars so right I don't know yeah. how to sail a fucking boat <laughs> yeah
0: yeah, I would be the same way just because uh, you, you know, at least in the if you're in the Mad Max world, you can find things to cover up with and yeah. have a tent and you're not in sun, you know, super skin cancer. Right, right,
1: right. Thailand
2: is not just our destination, but it is our destiny. <laughs>
1: Wrap up. Wrap up. Wrap it up. What are some of your favorite things from the movie set in the future? I guess it would be some of the more basic technologies, you know what I mean? Uh, Once we start getting into serious technology, I start start getting a little overwhelmed and, Mm. like, that's not familiar anymore. Right, right. (laughs) You know? Uh So, you know, like... You know, when I'm a kid and they're they're doing the video phones stuff, uh, you know, I always thought that was cool. And now, you know, you and I are doing it right now on FaceTime. Right now, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, which I wouldn't have thought ever possible, you know. Right. You know, some of the the transportation stuff, some of it, you know, because I am a car person. But sometimes they go a little goofy with it and sometimes they don't. But I liked a lot of the stuff in the Westworld TV show. I thought some of the cars they had in there were kind of cool Uh, self-driving stuff and you know uh, motorcycles and, and all that, like, and and in Minority Report, like we talked about real quick, right. that had some cool stuff like that, and and um, I think enhancement stuff. You know, when we talk mm-hmm. about, you know, this is we didn't talk about it on this. We did talk about cybernetic stuff, but what about like the ability to enhance hum- human stuff, like with the exoskeleton stuff, like in Aliens, you know? Oh right, that that stuff they're working on to make paralyzed people walk and stuff like that. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Right. Technology for prosthetics is is crazy. Like they're putting all kinds of sensory and uh, uh, computing processing into uh, limbs and legs so that people can walk more naturally and and, uh, rather than having, uh, even though stuff, modern day prosthetics are, are so great, there's still a little bit of a limp here and there right there's stuff to be where people were gonna be able to like be cybernetic I have have a, a false leg that can move where the ankle ball works just like a human ankle and right can kind of yeah that kind of stuff I think that kind of stuff is cool right right but then you get to the Boston dynamic robots and I freak the fuck out and I'm like you shouldn't be able to dance like that <laughs>
0: Don't even get us started on sex dolls.
1: Oh jeez. <laughs> yeah. Ava was all about that, right?
0: Um yeah, I mean, as a kid, as much as I reeled against them on this particular show, as a kid, I was just always like flying cars. That mm-hmm. is so cool. Back to the Future and Blade Runner and all mm-hmm. of these things, like even in Jetsons and the, when it's happening in the cartoon stuff, that, that stuff always fascinated me. Yeah, Like you said, video phones and stuff, which is always odd to me looking back at those things. It's like when they go into a... a payphone video phone thing and you're just like how did no one think of like cell phones even when right, they had those right, big brick right. ones back in the 80s they, yeah, did, they, right. did they
1: not think hey this will probably get a little easier to carry around eventually you know but it's funny is like the moment iPods came out people yeah. are like can you make phone calls on it right you know it like, <laughs> and, and it took several years until we could you know right there, I just thought of something though and I you know I know I was talking about you know getting too far out of familiarity makes me uncomfortable this one i don't i think for the human race would be very cool if we could figure out the whole light speed uh, mm-hmm. warping and being able to right so that we can explore way the fuck out you know what right. i mean if we're going to be able to explore you know right
0: that's yeah, yeah. something that
1: would be really cool to uh, to yeah. be able to harness, you know.
0: And then, again, like we, like we talked about, I even though I knew they were fake, I wanted a hoverboard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I will say this, because I stumbled across this by accident looking up Terminator stuff. There was, they're talking about, I, I came across this video talking about Nuclear uh, fusion reactors, which is, and this does relate to movies because that's exactly what Tony Stark builds and powers the Iron Man suit on his right. chest is a is a little tiny mini- miniature fusion reactor, not a not a fission reactor. Because I seen Chernobyl and then I watched the tr- the documentary right. using the real footage about Chernobyl. Fuck right. nuclear fission. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> right. Fuck it. We do not need it. <laughs> right. Nuclear fusion, however, is not radioactive and all that stuff and we're getting pretty close to it and if we can make that real then all of this fucking fighting over (laughs) resources is done we're done yeah because it can power the world for almost an infinite time right you know a multiple nuclear fission reactors and and so you know make tony stark's vision reality that's Mm kind of cool that's right r.i.p tony (laughs) (laughs) r.i.p yeah (laughs) but uh the Germans are getting close, is what this video was telling me. Of course they are. Of course <laughs> they are. Going back to that Hitler watching Metropolis as a as a 20-year-old. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you want some of our technology, huh? <laughs>
1: They've invented everything. <laughs> the Cars We Drive it was invented in Germany. Last question. Okay. What are some of your favorite movies set in the future? Um,
0: Not a long time ago... In the galaxy, galaxy I know that's the hard part. Yeah, because it's, it, take, it happened a
1: long yeah. He threw us for a loop with that one, didn't he? Yep. Uh, I would say I do like some of those Planet of the Apes movies. We didn't get to that on this. I think they're right. pretty, both the new ones and the old ones. The right. original 1968 one and uh, the not the uh, Tim Burton one, but the uh, Matt <laughs> Reeves ones.
0: Hey, uh, ape! I'm just trying to talk to you. <laughs>
1: ape! Yeah, come on. How's your mother? How's your mother ape? Why are you being a damn dirty ape? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, those ones are cool, and, um... I immediately always, anytime
0: this subject ever comes up, I always go to Back to the Future too. I just, I freaking yeah. love that. Uh, yeah, I have to go with that, yeah. And, uh, you know, Terminator movies, you know, the first two anyway, mm-hmm. are up there. And some of my favorite things, uh, the, uh, go, like going to Terminator 2 in a the theater is one of my favorite times of going to the theater and experiencing it, just because it blew my mind, and it's still... Right and um, (laughs) iRobot
1: no no not that one no Total Recall and Robocop to go back to get back on the uh, Verhoeven trip but we didn't talk about those today but right I love those future movies yeah especially Robocop the first first two Robocops you know
0: right and and the uh, the Matrix too, you know those those yeah. especially that first one just hit a chord with me. Yeah, singing, the, the way it ends on that song and he's flying yeah, away and right, it, yeah, right. just all of that stuff. yeah, yeah. just hit me good. It's very heroic. Yeah. Well, then we'll let's move on to our next step where I say thanks for listening, guys.
1: Yeah, and uh, enjoy yourselves and enjoy your future. Yeah. And remember, folks. We'll go out on the strong words of Criswell himself. Ah, greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives, whether we want to or not. And remember,
2: my friend, these future events will affect you. The future is in your hands. So let us remember the past, honor the present,
1: and be amused at the future. We are ending our transmission.